Welcome everyone to April 28th, 1990 in the Legacy Series. It is Austin, Texas. It is Saturday night's main event. Plus we have uh, another amazing bonus section from Ms. Fan that I will let him tell you about. Uh, before we get into that, I want to drop back one last time to WrestleMania 6. And I hope you will forgive me uh, for bringing Old Testament scripture two times in a row. But something has been on my mind when I think about that main event. I think about the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan. We've talked a lot about all the things that did not work. But I also tried to talk about at least the attempt that was made. Because they tried something, I believe, brilliant and beautiful, at least in its attempt. And it really hit me last week when Miz Fan was talking about the fact that they had two plans. Obviously, because the camera is with Hulk Hogan as he leaves. And it's with the Ultimate Warrior in the ring. So I got to thinking, I got to thinking, I got to thinking. What is this like? What does it remind me of? There are two fellas who I have not checked in on since I was a kid. Uh, two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And something happens. Elijah is a prophet. Elisha simply works with oxen in the field. And Elijah passes by one day. Elisha will just jump up and run after him. He will burn everything that he has to become an assistant for Elijah. What a move. What a thing to do. What a risk to take. Everything that I've had in my life is over. This is my everything. Let me follow in the footsteps of this man. And at the end of what would be the life of Elijah, uh, Elijah says three times to Elisha, I've got to go stay behind. I've got to go stay behind. I've got to go stay behind. And Elisha will not stay behind. So, uh, Elijah says to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you when I am taken away, when I'm gone. And Elisha says, please let me inherit a double portion of your spirit and become your successor. That's a big ask. But you know what happens? Elijah goes to heaven. Elisha sees it and he gets his request. What is the problem with WrestleMania 6? Because what we tried to set up was not the ultimate warrior simply defeating Hulk Hogan. But we tried to set up the ultimate warrior in fullness, defeating Hulk Hogan. But this is also the night that Hulk Hogan became the immortal, where he died or ascended and will live forever. So we tried to book both men with new kinds of power. And I want to tell you something. When you watch WrestleMania 6, the Hulk Hogan part works. When Hulk Hogan is in that little ring being taken away and the ultimate warrior sees it. And Jesse Ventura, of all people, says, I believe that Hulk Hogan will live forever. That is Jesse Ventura talking. That is the anointing of the immortal. That is Jesse Ventura's last WrestleMania. And the last thing he does, it says that Hulk Hogan will live forever. They hit it and accomplished the Hulk Hogan version, the Hulk Hogan part. So why did the whole thing not work? How is it that you can move the man who lost forward, but the man in the ring? And the problem with the ultimate warrior, the problem with a lot of guys like that, if you have a body like the ultimate warrior, you're a bodybuilder. Never is there a time where the, where the ultimate warrior just forsook bodybuilding and said, I want to be a wrestler. I want to learn everything. I want to know. He never had that moment where he ran after wrestling or ran to wrestling or ran after Hulk Hogan. Instead, it's the other way around. Wrestling ran after him. He was told in the independent world, you know what? You're no good. You need to train. He did not show up. Sting did. 
So the problem with WrestleMania 6, by my estimation, is the transaction that we get, the Elisha Elijah transaction in the WWF, is a Vince McMahon Hulk Hogan transaction. The Ultimate Warrior never gives. The Ultimate Warrior is never part of it. I want to tell you something. On the show that we're about to talk about, the Ultimate Warrior is going to say, I will not walk in the footsteps of Hulk Hogan. I will take this thing to places it's never been. And I'm here to tell you, Ultimate Warrior, the reason you can't take it to places that it's never been is because you never walked in those footsteps. So here we go. We're going to get into it. This is the beginning of the Ultimate Warrior's reign. It's no longer speculation. This is the real thing. This is the post-WrestleMania 6, one of the biggest uh happenings in wrestling history so let's see where it goes ladies and gentlemen i am the mystic i am joined by my friend and co-host by god my learned colleague he is mr ms fan the brain greetings ms fan fans welcome indeed back to the legacy series we are glad to be here two weeks in a row didn't even expect that it would happen but here we are i want to thank my wonderful co-host, Mystic, for taking me back to Sunday school. I haven't thought of Elijah and Elisha in many years, but that story was very familiar to me. It is ringing a bell. Uh, perhaps one day we will do an episode about how uh, the fans who called Hulk Hogan bald were eaten by bears, but uh, that's another story. <laughs> we will leave that to the Bible uh, or perhaps another episode of our show. Meanwhile, we do have... Saturday night's main event, April 28, 1990. Hulk Hogan is there. He's taking on Mr. Perfect. He's settling that score. Big Boss Man is fighting Akeem once again. The Ultimate Warrior will defend that title against Haku. The Hearts and the Rockers will be facing off. Earthquake is here, but that's one world we have to conquer. We have a second world, and believe me, it feels like a whole second world. If you have not seen the uh, bonus footage, I highly recommend it this week, because the WWF, very shortly after WrestleMania six, took a trip over to Japan, and they teamed up with not one, but two of the greatest wrestling federations that uh, that country or indeed the world has ever seen all japan and new japan the two juggernauts of this era in japanese wrestling two two revered promotions and rightfully so and we will see some of the most unique and interesting matches that i think we have covered in the whole of not just this series but any of our series so we will be watching uh, legends of the Japanese scene and of the world taking on some of the biggest and most beloved names that we have in the WWF right now, and it's all going to be topped off by a match that gives me a little chill. Even now, even after watching it, even just seeing it on paper, Hulk Hogan versus Stan Hansen, and if that is not a collision of two worlds, I don't know what is, but there's going to be a lot of fun, fun stuff to talk about on this show I hope you're excited because I am very excited. Man, I will tell you, too, not only great matches, but some of the most iconic images mm. that we're going to get in this series. I think I got one at least that is top five in this whole series where we see two men in the back standing next to each other. And, man, it is it is something to behold. Oh, yeah, I know. I think I know exactly what you're talking about. So I'm very excited to get to that. It's going to be a very interesting show. Definitely two different um, timelines it almost feels like colliding here because I'll, I'll tell you straight up I don't know if my uh, co-host will feel the same but 
Um, basically, we're talking about two events here, and one of these has the energy that I'm looking for in this series, and one of them, in my opinion, does not. And uh, you may already know from what I have said which is which, but uh, we will talk about that more as we go along. I agree with what you're saying, and I think it's by by a long mile, the distance <laughs> between them. Oh, boy. I guess we'll talk about it more later, but, man, I was watching some of these um, matches from the Wrestling Summit, and that's where these come from, April 13, 1990, uh, Wrestling Summit. Um, and I'm thinking, man, this should have been WrestleMania. Like, uh, some of this stuff could have been swapped out for what we got and probably it would have been a much better show. So, Nate, I don't know if it would have sold as well. Uh, it probably would have because the entire way they sold it was just Hogan Warrior and they didn't care about anything else. So they could have put anything on that card. So, I don't know. It's interesting stuff. It is. It is. We are definitely – I have thought several times this week about your statement about burning um, wheel, goodwill <laughs> being burned and – it really is these moments, like when I was talking about the end of WrestleMania 6, where you get that they're trying for big things, but they're trying for big things without putting in the effort that comes up in the days and weeks and months that go with it to make it so. Yeah, we talked about it before, so it almost doesn't bear mentioning, but I'm going to mention it anyway. I mean, you look, WrestleMania 3, this massive build, Hogan, Andre, this stuff goes back years, you know, Steamboat, um, Savage goes back months and months, probably probably the whole year, almost even that one as well. Um, Piper Adonis, all this big stuff built out. WrestleMania 4 is this huge tournament. It has all these connections, these threads running back. WrestleMania 5, that one, you know, that that's a year at least, if not a lot more, going back. WrestleMania 6, Hogan and Warrior, like, almost clotheslined each other, or maybe they didn't, you know, or they just they sort of just did the same thing for a few weeks and then... You know, that, that's about it. So the difference, I think, really is very noticeable there. Yeah, I, I keep thinking in my mind how much of this is Warrior's fault and how much is WWF's fault because the booking, like you said, is no good. So 50% of it has to be on WWE in that way. But what would the Warrior have done anyway is also a question. <laughs> and something I thought with kind of the way I set up, the way that Elijah would cling to Elijah no matter what, if Dusty Rhodes had been Hulk Hogan, and we had never got Hulk Hogan, and we simply signed Dusty Rhodes, and he had dominated this era, and he was a three-time world champion, and Hulk Hogan was the ultimate warrior, and he was about to go over to Dusty Rhodes, who had dominated the WWF for five years. He would have clung to Dusty Rhodes. He would, he would have claimed everything that Dusty Rhodes had and everything that he has. He would have done all the things I'm talking about no matter how it was booked. So I think partly it's a WWF thing, but it has to also be if you got someone who just doesn't care and doesn't understand and doesn't know what he's doing, you can't make that kind of storyline happen in any world because it just can't work. Mm. I think there's blame to go around, and I think it's very telling. We kind of circled back to this more than once. You just say, like, well, they could have done more, but it's the Warriors, so what can you do? So, like, if you have to give up, before you even tried, maybe you're not putting the right person over Hulk Hogan. So th there's blame to go around here. I thought of something. I don't know how you're going to feel about this. I don't even know how I feel. But is it so that the Ultimate Warriors matches are better than this promos? Uh, his promos are better because at least he doesn't injure anybody. That's all I okay. <laughs> that's, that's the best I can think of. They're I both think bad. for me... 
the matches right now are better and they're not good at all and I don't like them, but at least there's another human being doing half the things. So like <laughs> in his match you're gonna see Haku doing like half the things. These promos, well we'll get to it, but I think this is a fair answer whether you're on the match side or the promo. But I was really thinking like which one really is worse, not is better. But this is the world champion. Like Sting, we can talk about Sting all he we won't, but this is a guy that can get it done at least in the ring. And this is the guy for the nineties, the guy just top toppled Hulk Hogan. And like I'd love to know is his matches better or his promos because something has to be there, right? But I don't know. I think I think I'd like to hear what people at home have to say. That is interesting. Um I'll just say of course you gotta hear it does a sting slander and you say Sting can get it done in the ring. Eh, I'm I'm <laughs> waving my hand back and forth, but I'll leave that one alone for now. Um I don't know. I still think maybe the matches are worse for me because we're going to see it on this card. It's Ultimate Warrior versus Haku. And of course, you know, Haku's not going to win the title anyway. He's challenged Hogan. It's the same scenario, basically. But man, I thought Warrior just treated him like he was nothing. And that ain't the way after a guy who kicked Andre the Giant in the face. And, you know, that was enough to kind of decide the match, even if it's not the way he meant it to be. So, even more than Jim Duggan, who has always, of course, rubbed us the wrong way. I've talked about it many times. But Ultimate Warrior, man, like, he's a guy who the other guy doesn't even have to be out there. So you can say, oh, at least there's another guy. But that guy is getting no respect, and he's in danger bodily because Ultimate Warrior might hurt him. Like, at least the promos, he can just do them alone, and I can sort of uh, just not pay attention. So, I don't know. It's a tough call. That's a great point that you make. My rebuttal would be there's actually a second man in the interviews, and he is going to be angry-faced, half-holding a mic into the back of the Ultimate Warrior as the Warrior stands off-screen uh, with his back barely visible, uh, talking to himself. So I would say that the, the second man in the interviews probably feels similar to the second man in the matches. Yeah, poor Gene Okerlund. We all know that he's a Hulkamaniac, so must have been uh, doubly <laughs> painful for him. BK, who is one of the great uh, listeners, uh, said something in the forums. He was talking about he did he gave us a Wizard of Oz reference. So he's trying to make Sting better and he's trying to make the Ultimate Warrior better. And it was the first time that I considered uh, things maybe in different ways. So he said, "What would be the difference if Sting had a brain and the Ultimate Warrior had a heart?" <laughs> well, Sting does have a a butt or a you know what. <laughs> So he's halfway there, I think, on his standard. So, oh, my God. I mean, it's interesting to think about. Is uh, If Sting had a brain, maybe he wouldn't have just, um, you know, followed along in Flair's wake and let himself kind of be taken advantage of. And maybe he would have understand how to do the Crow character uh, when he opened his mouth. So that's a whole different world there. Um, and if Ultimori had a heart then he probably would have learned to wrestle and maybe not yep. hurt everybody and not been terrible and not burned out immediately. So you're really talking about different worlds there. I don't even know where to begin, but that's very nice. I don't think I saw that yet. So perhaps the BK for another great comment. He is a very valued listener. It's one of the most astute and potentially transformative statements I've ever heard because it would revolutionize both men. Yeah. And it's the, it's the only conversation where, it makes me wonder if I would go Ultimate Warrior because I don't know what he would look like because, like you said, as early as Sting going to train, going to get help, Warrior would be doing the same thing. Warrior would end up, like, caring about something in the business or some style in the business or some legacy in the business or other people in the business. So I think it would radically transform Warrior and only for the best. In a way, I don't know if it would help or hurt Sting because 
his entire legacy is built on not having a brain, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> those betrayals are going to go on for 30 years and probably AEW, someone's probably going to betray him at some point. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know who Sting would be if he had a brain. I think it's also fair to say we don't know who Warrior would be if he had a heart because yeah. a lot of his success was based on the fact that clearly he only spent time on his body, you know, on his look, um, and he had no regard, like, for his opponents at all. So if he has a heart, you have to imagine, like, just a, an entirely different person and what happens to that person in their career. I don't even know. I can't start to imagine it because it's so different. Plus, if you have a heart in the 80s in WWF, you obviously have to be a heel. So, you know, that would change things up as well. <laughs> That's right. If you have uh, recognizable human emotions, then you'll probably be a heel. So, Yeah. That's some good stuff, though. We have, we've had a lot of conversation about Warrior, about Sting in the forums. You can check it out, lopforums.com. And we're getting into it because, you know, we, we've been building and building and building, and the Ultimate Warrior run is here, and thankfully, it's not going to last long. So anything left to say about the Ultimate Warrior <laughs> on this level has to be said in the next handful of episodes. It's true, yeah. He'll lose that title, and then um, he'll with Savage, and then, uh, and then it's SummerSlam, and then he'll be gone, and then... He'll be back for a little bit and gone again and back for a very little bit and gone again. And that'll be it for the Warrior. So, so yeah, we'll we'll have to see what we can say in that time. Where do you want to go, Ms. Fan? Let's do Saturday Night's main event first. We'll, we'll, we'll save right. uh, what I consider the true main event for the, the end of the show here. All right, folks. So stay with us. We got Saturday Night's main event. This is the beginning of a new direction for 1990 for WWF for Ultimate Warrior. And then we're going to Japan for just just something that's so otherworldly because WCW, you see them there so much. WWF. They're characters. It takes you a little while to figure out what world you're in, what genre you're in. So just stay tuned for all of that. We're going to kick off with rapid fire. And the first guy we see is not Hulk Hogan. It's not Macho Man Randy Savage. It is the new heavyweight champion with that gimmicked uh, exclusive belt for him around his waist. It is the ultimate warrior kicking off the April 28th, 1990 uh, Saturday night's main event. Absolutely. And he does scream, as you mentioned, that he won't walk in the footsteps of Hogan, but he will walk where nobody has ever walked before. And um, <laughs> I <laughs> I don't know if he's right about that, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Yeah, I just spit on my girlfriend's table uh, with that comment because it just hit me right there that he will actually do what he says. So he will walk where I don't think anyone has ever walked, and that's why he won't be champion in a year. But he says there's an ultimate destiny to be fulfilled, which he puts that down in the tradition of rapid fire, and Bobby Heenan picks that up. He does, yes. Bobby Heenan is with Haku. He he, he does uh, Haku speaking for him as usual. He says he will make history by becoming WWF champion. Um, didn't work before, won't work now, but uh, Bobby Heenan will have more plans before the night is through. It's an amazing thing. It never hit me, even though we talked about it for weeks and months, how big of a deal it was to give Ultimate Warrior this match going over Hogan until I hear kind of the bitterness in the mouth of the man who managed Andre at WrestleMania 3 say, you made history at WrestleMania. And it hit me only watching Bobby Heenan that the Ultimate Warrior did what Andre the Giant and Bobby Heenan could not do. Yeah, what Paul Orndorff could not do, what every Heenan family member could not do, um, going all the way back. So uh, there's definitely an element there. Bobby Heenan, we've talked many times, his feud with Hulk Hogan dominated the 80s over multiple promotions, 
and yet now uh, when he finally falls, Bobby Heenan was nowhere to be seen. Yeah, this also gets to not just storylines not being earned, but them starting to stretch the boundaries of reality. Because even if right now you told me you can work for WWF in the 80s, and you can make all the money you want to make, or you can make zero if you make the wrong choice. You have to pick the guy that will go over Hulk Hogan and manage them. If you pick the right guy, you will win. With the knowledge that I have, if you said it's either Warrior or Andre, I would pick Andre the Giant again, and I would have no money because I picked the wrong guy. <laughs> you can't convince me, even looking back, that Andre is not the guy in that conversation. Well, Vince McMahon should be lucky nobody uh, forced him into that deal because he also would have had no money because he picked the <laughs> wrong guy to go over Hulk Hogan. So, Absolutely. here we are. Mr. Perfect, I don't like this promo, but I get what they're doing. But he says at WrestleMania, Hogan learned that you're not perfect, but I am. That would be a mighty fine promo, but I, you know, you can't talk about Hulk Hogan not being perfect because he lost to the Ultimate Warrior on the night that you lost to Brutus Beefcake. Is this where we have to give credit to the Babyface Brigade about um, heels not uh, behaving appropriately in their yeah. their comments? Yeah, I think we do. Yeah, I appreciate the audacity, but that's a, I can't even go that far. You know, <laughs> you might even need a new name for at least six months, and then you can try to be Mister Perfect again. Ah, uh, he's perfect to me. In my okay, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll 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 leave the Bruce the the beefcake out of this, and we'll go to Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan is doing to uh, Mr. Perfect what he did to the big boss man, which is taking his gimmick and using rhetoric against him. He is Professor Hulk Hogan, and he's going to do the teaching dude, and uh, the genius is going to be in the dunce's corner. Mr. Perfect is going to be in the principal's office, and what you're going to do when Professor Hulk Hogan runs wild on you? We are now firmly in the era where Hulk Hogan has stopped communicating like uh, anything resembling a human being. It is only capable of puns and inflicting uh, pain on his Hulkamaniacs via proxy. Um, so I don't, we've talked a lot. I'll ask you about this. We've talked so much. We like Saturday Night's Main Event. We like the rapid fire promos. We like the feeling of the show. Some aspect of that is still there, but I was watching this episode and I was just feeling like this feels tired. Like some of the magic is out of this for me. And it's not bad. Like there's definitely worse things in wrestling, but I think back to just even, you know, a year or two ago, and I just have a different feeling now about this episode than I did about some of the others. I confessed in the best times of Saturday Night's main event that I felt like a hypocrite because almost everything that I would condemn about WWE was present in what I was praising about Saturday Night's main event. It is overly booked. Like The writers might as well have their hands and their mouths in the scenes because you cannot have all these puns and all these back and forth without all of that being heavily scripted. You still have amazing people doing amazing things on top of it. But that thing was always in there. And it just made me realize back then that I can live with that as long as the stories are amazing. The characters are amazing. I want to see what's going to happen. And like there's like 10,000 things on top of that that made me okay with the fact that they're still kind of driving it in the way that I don't prefer as far as my professional wrestling. And slowly those things that are so amazing have gone away. And the one consistent that we have been left with is the overly booked, overly scripted puns and all of that. And the matches are not that great. The storylines are not that great. There's nothing to watch. There's not, there's not one thing on the show that I thought, Oh my goodness, I have to get to that to know what's going to happen. 
<laughs> I said there's one moment that felt very fresh to me when it happened. I don't know if I thought it would before, but uh, apart from that one moment, yeah, um, a lot of this, I don't know. Maybe maybe the next one will feel different. Maybe they just phoned it in after WrestleMania the way they phoned in WrestleMania itself. But yeah, none of these uh, events really had me looking forward to this episode of Saturday Night's Main Event. I'm gonna, I had no idea. I just looked through my notes. I don't know what you're talking about, but maybe I've got to guess. I'll see if I'm right okay. or not right. as the show goes on. But yeah, this was something. It, it felt like a chore to watch Saturday Night's Main Event. And yeah, it wasn't time, even a maybe. bad show. It wasn't a good show. But it just felt like a chore because, like I said, I know everything that's going to happen. I know why Hogan and Perfect are wrestling again. I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen with Haku and the Ultimate Warrior. And even seeing the Hart Foundation and Rockers, and this is not an argument about quality of match, but it was just like, okay, I think I've seen this a few times now. <laughs> well, that might be my fault digging it up in the bonus material. But I'll just say, um, I, I, I think they've always been good together. But just from the on paper, that match is like, it pops, and in execution, I just don't know if it pops in the same way. You know, it just uh, it doesn't really live up to what you might think of it based on the names involved. Yeah, it's almost like there's no edge. They they, they it's like they let each other show out the entire time. So you're gonna see the best of the Rockers, the best of the Heart Foundation, but there's never like anything outside of that. It's not it's, no one ever takes the advantage or dominates or it goes a certain goes off the rails. It's always it feels like a back and forth of just showcasing each other's talent or something. Yeah, you almost wish, <laughs> and this isn't true on a personal level, but uh, you almost wish that Michaels and uh, Brett had disliked each other earlier. Maybe they would have yeah. put a little more, uh, a little more heat, a little more fire into these matches. Instead, they do, and even in this one, it was interesting a little bit. We'll talk about it because one of the teams works a little bit heel unexpectedly but even with that in mind it, it does feel just kind of exhibitiony like it's just a match that happened and it's just not uh, special or memorable in the way that you kind of hoped it would be it's also not earned which is another constant that you're going to keep hearing like, yeah. why are they wrestling i feel like the heart foundation has already been anointed to be the challengers and now we're kind of taking that away or not taking that away or maybe taking that away or maybe not i don't know yeah, I don't know either, so we're going to have to continue on and try to see what's going on with that. I'll be interested to hear people because, you know, maybe we're being too harsh. You know, are there ingredients and qualities of this show that are similar to the things that we love and maybe we're not seeing it or we're tired or we just don't like some of this stuff? You know, is there something that we're missing? But, again, we don't talk before these shows, and uh, we both had the same reaction to a show that – we have never paused to talk about whether we enjoyed Saturday Night's main event or not, I don't believe. Yeah, yeah I don't think so. I, I think uh, just from my own memories, my experience, I believe we are in a slump that will kind of go up and down but not really bounce back until we get to um, that SummerSlam 91 area. So that, that's a ways to go. We will see what is good in the meantime, and I, I do want to hear the other opinions as well. But, yes, I do think we are in this uh I don't want to say post-Hulkamania, because Hulkamania is still here, but sort of that post-Hogan-Hulkamania slump, where they're trying all the same things, it doesn't have the same energy, they're trying a new guy, he's not the, you know, he's not really up to it, um, so it's just, uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll have to watch this period closely, is all. Yeah, it's an amazing thing that, I don't know how to say this, because Hogan's obviously on the show, and he doesn't do much to make it pop. But, man, if you ever want to know how good Hogan was in the 80s, you know, we talk about Bobby Heenan. We have every 
kind of praise that you can imagine for Bobby Heenan, and he deserves all of it. Yep. But you put him in a feud with the Ultimate Warrior, and the Warrior has more power, I think, to neutralize the good of Bobby Heenan than Bobby Heenan has to bring out like the good in the Ultimate Warrior. And that that's that is whatever that dark power the Ultimate Warrior has, that's where you see him exercising it. Mm. That is a an impressive statement. I I think he has more power than Hogan to neutralize it. I don't know if he can neutralize it entirely. There, uh, the next feud for Warrior is going to be Rick Rude, uh, as is alluded to on this show. And there are some very nice Bobby Heenan Rick Rude vignettes that I think uh, I'm going to have to try to dig up before that time. So we will see what magic comes of that. But uh, yes, um, Heenan versus Warrior has uh, very little charm compared to Heenan versus Hogan, which was just, you know, the feud of the 80s in many ways. Yeah, I do have some praise, a strand of praise for both Heenan and WWF in that storyline for this show, but it is one strand. But, you know, I have to bring it up once in a while. Warriors already had a program with Andre the Giant. You know, this is his second uh, program with Bobby Heenan, I believe. You know, so... There should be more than me being able to pick out one strand of what I like that has nothing to do with the Warrior. You know, even Luger, like in the 80s, who I will agree with people a lot of times, he wasn't a fan. He he didn't know it was a big deal to be put in the Four Horsemen when he was in the Horsemen. Like he said that, mm. you know, Lex Luger could not um, neutralize Bobby Heenan like this. You know. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. So it can't just be, though, that you don't understand the business. It has to be something beyond that. If Warrior had one moment in his whole title reign that was as good as Lex Luger pushing Bobby Heenan aside mm. on the deck of the Intrepid, then we might be having a different conversation right now. Man, that's good stuff, good stuff. I like that a lot. Uh, that's coming up rather soon, three years, folks, out. Oh, my um, God, how yeah. can it be that close? That's unbelievable. I had a comment in the Hart Foundation versus the Rockers that it blows my mind that we're less than two years away from uh, Michaels versus Brett at the main event Survivor Series. Yeah. But it equally blows my mind that 96 is so far away, so I don't even know what that means. <laughs> There's a lot of years to uh, discover, and we're going to get into some real unknown stuff for me, so I'm excited about that. This is Texas. Vince and Jesse Ventura are going to come out on horses. Uh, Vince is going to say we're joining us horse side for the matches. Um, yeah. Man, if you didn't know it was Texas, they'll tell you again and again and again on this show. It's very much the theme. And you know what? I kind of appreciated that, even though it was a little uh, over-the-top, heavy-handed. But, you know, that actually brought a little charm to the show. I like that they're on horses. They they will reference the horses a few times. The horses will stand at ringside with them at (laughs) times. Um, We got the Bonanza map burning. We got the, you know, people wearing Texas-themed stuff. So, you know, there, there's a little bit of charm for you. I appreciated that. Vince McMahon looked like he could have been uh, a Cartwright's son in that segment. And <laughs> it's so far from Mr. McMahon that it blows my mind. Uh, yes and no, because I could also, like, he's probably riding around challenging Ventura to, like, do mm. horse tricks before the show or something. So there's some element of that I see in there. But uh, also, it's not as well, to your point. I really felt like Ventura kept trying to have his horse in front of Vince's, and I thought they're going to end up like killing everybody in the front row just to see who can position themselves in front of the other. Uh, I don't know how they coexisted all these years. Uh, Ventura will be gone 
before the year is over, I believe, which is too bad. But uh, they've been they've been quite a team. I've appreciated them greatly. I have enjoyed them a lot. I I, I have three notes. I don't know if I'll find them or not. Where Vince kind of gets the best of Jesse. I thought there was a little bit too much of that. Like one thing that I did not like about Vince in my memory was that he was always kind of like too much for me. And I didn't see that in the eighties. I saw him kind of get put in his place a lot. And then he would start something, but he wouldn't finish it. And I hope we're not going to get to a trend where he's got to finish half the arguments. (laughs) Uh, I don't recall that, but uh, you never know. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Okay. So we go to the back. It's time to get started. Sean Mooney is with Mr. Perfect and the genius as they get ready to battle Hulk Hogan in this Saturday night's main event rematch. Yep, and this is the same flaw as before. Perfect. We all saw you lose to Beefcake, so yeah. you know as much as I love you, it ain't it ain't happening. And uh, also, a lot of this is just the genius, like kind of just being flirty, I guess, with yeah. Sean Mooney. So I, you know, I don't know that aspect. It's unfor. I was really coming in ready to like the genius more than I have because I like Lanny Poffo. I think he's an underrated guy. Um, the gimmick is not bad in terms of like an annoying heel manager. But just the fact that they've added this bit, which is aged poorly, where he's also supposed to be, like, an aggressive gay or something, yeah. you know, it's not good. It's not Adrian Adonis, you know, it's it's kind of like the worst version of that, and I, I'm, I'm just not enjoying it. Yeah, it's just an annoyance. He's just, like, bothering people with his sexuality, I think, is supposed to be the... <laughs> The idea, you know. That's a great so, way to put it. Absolutely. And that's three gimmicks too. Like if you wanted to do like someone who is gay and someone who brings that into their gimmick, that's one thing. To me, if you want to do a genius, that's another thing. And if you want to do a poet, that's still yet another thing. So I like the idea of the genius. I like the idea of the poet. And but you know, he doesn't fully execute any of those because most people that would call themselves a genius and not all of them, but most of them probably wouldn't also be a poet. Right. The brain is not a poet, and he's also a much better manager. So you're right. It's like, it's too much, you know, and he's another guy who he can't even have his name. His name has to be replaced with something like a lot of guys in this era, and it's just, uh, you know, it's too much. It kind of symbolizes kind of the too much trying too hard, but not actually trying very hard of this era. Yes, it is a try on screen try hard that makes up for the fact that they're not trying hard behind the scenes. <laughs> uh, you're not doing the legwork, but you're trying to show out, you know, like yeah. your creativity on the screen, and it's just, uh, it doesn't work the same. So. We're going to see, I think we're moving into the world of no names. Is uh, Rick, We will see Rick Martell four times uh, before the show is over. <laughs> <laughs> we will. His name will very nearly be replaced by the model. Uh, we will see Davy Boy Smith come back without his name. We will see Kerry Von Erich de- uh, debut without a name. Yeah. Um, we will see uh, Ricky Steamboat come back and be bereft of his name. So it is definitely the era of no names allowed. Was Ricky Steamboat, he was, so he's going to be the dragon before, yeah, he'll return to WCW with Dustin Rhodes at Clash of Champions. Yeah, he's just a man, so you know he will. So I'm trying to think. I guess the first time I ever saw him was WWF then, but I'm trying to, um, in my mind when I saw him in WWF, he was limited. Like I, I didn't like him or dislike him, but he could be nothing but a mid Carter at best. I didn't even have that language, but like he meant nothing to me. Mm-hmm. Whereas the moment he walked out with Dustin Rhodes, like I was a, as much a fan from that point to where I am now. Yeah, I think it's 
SummerSlam 91 where he's there. So, yeah, you probably saw him right around that time. But do you really see Ricky Steamboat if you just see him as the dragon? I yeah. don't think you do. <laughs> I couldn't make anything of him because like, he breathed the fire in the ring and he's called the dragon. But that's the thing for me, and maybe it's simplistic for people who want simple, but if you actually have an imagination, like, I wanted an understanding of who he was. The same thing with Texas Tornado. Like, oh, te- like he's just legit. Uh, like, he spins around in circles because he is a <laughs> Texas Tornado. And, like, that stuff just leaves me trying to fill in blanks that can't be filled in, and then that doesn't satisfy me. And that and that's me at, like, probably eight or nine years old, and I'm not satisfied because of what they're giving me. Yeah, what is it with this era and people having to be, like, very literally what their name? Like, this is going to be half my problem with the earthquake is he can't just yep. be, like, a big guy. He's got to, like, stomp around like he's causing an earthquake, you know, and he, he can never stop doing that. And uh, Davy Boy should be very happy. He wasn't asked to, like, bite people when he yeah. came back. Uh, Bret Hart should be glad that they didn't give him a gun to walk around with. Yeah. You know, a lot of people actually were very lucky when you start to think about it here. Yeah, Brett's lucky he's already there. Because if he came in as Hitman, and that's all he ever was, Hitman, and he had a gun, you know, he's not having all those title reigns. No matter if he's just as good in the ring as he is, you know, in 94, 95, that Hitman is not having those title reigns. It's not happening. Mm. It'll be Barry Windham in the face paint and the camo, you know, and that, that would be yeah. Bret Hart's life as well. Yeah. So <laughs> They were very Luger-pushed Luger and got his way. They, they did not want him to be called Lex Luger. They just wanted him to be called Narcissist. Oh, man, and they tried real hard on that. Yeah. Uh, I was so, the first time I watched Royal Rumble 1993, I'm like, oh, cool, Bobby Heenan, Lex Luger, yeah. like, it's going to be good. It's not good, and it's not very good. disappointing. So we're, we're going to talk about that in just two years or three years here. But there's something, are the complaints we were making at the beginning of the show in this whole organic conversation about taking away everyone's names and identities, you know, I think somewhere they figured out, like, we have a formula that works, so why are we trying anything else? Just give them the formula and nothing but the formula. And anytime WWE gives us nothing but the formula, if you're not a diehard fan, you will choke on that formula. Yeah. At some point, they looked at probably, like, Ted DiBiase, maybe, and now Big Boss Man's getting popular, Mr. Perfect. You know, these are these are WWF-made gimmicks, and they work very well, actually. At some point, they looked at that, and they fundamentally misunderstood that it's not about these gimmicks they've given the people. It's just they've given them to, like, incredibly talented people, and they're just like, oh, we can do that for anybody. Here, stupid gimmicks for everyone. Just, like, throw yeah. them out of the, the idea bag, and now you have a costume, and you have a prop, and now this will make you popular, and... I don't know. Some work. You can't say that some didn't work. Some really don't. Uh, I can't believe we're in a post-Red Rooster world and they still are thinking like this is the the be-all, end-all. But then you got to remember, the only problem with Red Rooster is Terry Taylor didn't try hard enough. So, (laughs) for God's sake. Some real denial, I think, going on on some levels of the WWF here. This is the year. We talked about it. They're going to drive people out of that stadium that they were going to run, that they were so proud about running. So we're, we're definitely going to see some problems this year. Yeah, and I think they would have driven me out of it if I was planning to go. Sure. You know, you make a great point, and I can see the justification, but I think with all three of them, Big Boss Man, to me, is an exception to the rule. That's why we put him with Undertaker. He is one of those gimmicks yeah. that works as a gimmick because it's a gimmick. Ted DiBiase is Ted DiBiase. He's the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase. So to me, he doesn't even fit that. And Mr. Perfect is just kind of a, like, that's a stupid thing to me if you don't have someone who's so obnoxious 
that he make you believe it uh, again and again in Kurt Henning. So I think Mr. Perfect could be a flop maybe with somebody else. Yeah, no, absolutely. All these gimmicks could be flops with other yeah. people. <laughs> I was just That's thinking, um, just randomly, if you, you had Big Boss Man, you have The Undertaker coming in at kind of similar times. What if you swap their gimmicks? What does that world look like? <laughs> Do they still both make it work? Maybe, because they're very talented, but both of them easily could have flopped as well. So, you know, I don't know. It's very interesting to think about that. The Undertaker maybe makes it work. I I, did, I love Big Boss Man, but I deny Big Boss Man makes it work. <laughs> Somehow, having like a fat Undertaker just doesn't yeah. work. Um, I don't know. He's so good, but it, it would have been a stretch. I think they would have had to at least approach it in a very different way. I think you have to call him Paul Bearer, but make him a wrestler and have an urn. <laughs> I think that might work. <laughs> oh, I would actually love to see that. So, all right, we'll we'll think about that in our spare time. The one thing I love about Henning, I just said it. He starts talking. Hogan's lost his confidence, his courage, and you've lost your Hulkamaniacs. And I know none of that is true, but he says it in a way that makes me think it might be. And I have said from day one, if you want to defeat Hulk Hogan, you need to stand up. And tell the same kind of lies he tells and do it aggressively and confidently. That is the way. That's why Randy Savage faltered so bad because he broke Savage's confidence. So the guys that can get at Hulk Hogan are the ones that can come at him with the same stuff that he comes at them with. Yeah, Mr. Perfect, intensely self-assured, even by uh, wrestling standards, by heel standards, even by babyface standards. So you got to respect that as far as it goes. Uh, it kills me that we've only got like maybe about a year left of truly peak Kurt Hennig. Um, and yep. then uh, he'll be gone very unexpectedly. He'll come back. He'll do some other good things, but man, like big, what if on that career, in my opinion, absolutely. It, I thought about that watching the matches like, man, purpose just getting off the ground and he's also almost done. So, yeah, it know. is unfortunate. I really think he is one of the best of this era, the very, very best. So we will talk more about him for sure. In less than two years, he's coming out of retirement. Yeah, man, that's that's wild. Yeah, we're gonna have to dig up those primetime segments where he uh, he and Bobby Heenan have their split finally yeah. after a relationship that survived so long. So we're very close to that partnership finally happening. We might not have to see the genius very much after this. Absolutely. Hogan gives us in plain terms uh, the formula that seems to work for him. Yes, he lost to the Warrior. Guess what? He's never more confident than ever. It doesn't need an explanation. Some stay down, but it takes courage to get back up, and he's standing taller than ever. So Hulk Hogan is a word of faith uh, person, and he speaks it into existence, and he will tell us he's better off than ever, whether he is or not. Uh, we're going to keep hearing it out of his mouth. So Hennig and Hogan really... Like if they just stood in the same room and made claims at each other, it would be a, it would be a grand affair. <laughs> that would be a true true test of their talents. I agree. Sixty um, minute Iron Man match. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I don't know if I can watch Hogan talk that long, but he certainly would not run out of claims yes. in that time. Um, so a couple of thoughts here. I'm gonna see if I can remember everything I wanted to say because there's a few things here. Um, Hulk Hogan. He's compared a lot to John Cena, uh, I think rightfully so in some ways. One problem people often had with Cena is whenever he had a loss, and he had him sometimes, you know, he didn't win every time, he would often not treat it like it was important. And I wonder if now we're seeing the same thing here with Hogan, 
He has lost, in the, you know, he, he has lost legitimately. He's lost his title. He suffered a setback, and it, it might as well not have happened. You know, he could have been holding the title still in this promo, in this match, and uh, you really never would have noticed the difference. So do what do you think of that? I'll just throw that out first. I will say, number one, I think that's completely true. Like, to me, he's missing something. Like, either yeah. the sorrow or the shock of a loss or direction, I guess we'll start getting it with Earthquake. And I think that's partly a Hulk Hogan thing, but I think also, I think WWF probably wants the Warrior Hogan. They probably don't want Hulk Hogan talking about the Ultimate Warrior. Mm, yeah. I think they came out very quickly and said, like, we won't do a rematch for, like, the safety of the wrestlers or some. It's just, like, some that did not vibe well with me when I watched it. Yeah. It was a very flimsy excuse. Um, so, yeah, uh, clearly they're working to separate them very quickly, which... Uh, it's just, it is strange to me, you know, I guess, yeah, I've heard it said, oh, well, we didn't do a good enough buy rate, but yeah. they're going to be wishing for that buy rate before yeah. all is said and done. That's so true. That, that that blows my mind because it dropped off a long ways from Savage Hogan, but guess what? WrestleMania 7 is going to drop off from WrestleMania 6. So I, I'm glad you said Cena because something's happening with Hulk Hogan that I don't like, and it's it's a visual thing. I don't know if it's... He's always wore red and yellow, so I don't even know what it is. Like the bandana he's wearing with the mustache, with the skin color, he looks like a giant gimmick. Like, even his skin now looks like, with that outfit, that is all gimmick, which John Cena is always like that with the stupid, like, bright shirts. And, you know, the whole body is just like a full-on gimmick. And Hulk Hogan looks like he's passing into a more gimmicked version of himself than he used to be. Yeah, I will say this. Hulk Hogan's skin color way off on this show. Way more pink than tan. I don't even know what to make of that, you know. Um, so that I don't know. Does it affect something? Does it not? I don't know. Some wrestlers live by their tan, so I don't know. Maybe we got something going on there. I don't know what it was, but he just I don't know. The part is probably the bandana for me, but the the mustache and even eyebrows stood out more. And it's just like the whole thing is gimmick. And I wanted some one or two things from him. I either want him like if you're gonna tell me this is one of the most consequential matches of all time, and Miss Van, you're exactly right. Like it has to be consequences you have to feel something for having lost or if you're the immortal like they they they, they purposely anointed him the immortal like the, bruce pritchard's talked about the, the, even the line out of jesse ventura's mouth was given to him mm. you know because they're trying that's where they made him the immortal well to me then maybe go straight into earthquake and have earthquake take him out then you got the fact they lost to the warrior and now he's been destroyed where he can't even come back and yet they're calling him the immortal like how can you be the immortal when you can't get in the ring and last more than you know one encounter like none of it you can't not have anything except a confident hulk hogan or then there's nothing consequential about what we're watching yeah yeah it's a very good point um and it kind of segues into my next one with that earthquake thing uh mm -hmm. if if you really want to go with warrior um, yeah. what is Hogan still doing here, like in the spotlight? And I, you know, if they didn't have the confidence in warrior to draw better than Hogan, why'd you put it on warrior then? You know, like you yeah. got to wait maybe for the right person, but yeah, with Hulk Hogan, it's like, how can we miss you if you never leave? So eventually earthquake will sit on him and he will go away for a while. But just the fact that he's here front and center, I remember watching this opening match. And I'm like, I wonder how many people, turned off the TV to go to bed after this match, you know? So, I don't know. You got to wonder about it. <laughs> yeah. I found myself very disappointed to see him on the show because mm. I want to see Ultimate Warrior, you know, like, again, consequences. So, if that's one of the most consequential matches of all time, 
Hulk Hogan has to feel something, and Ultimate Warrior has to carry it. So you can't just have not only have Hulk Hogan on it, but he's first man up. So, you know, if I am a Hulkamaniac, like you just said, I can pretend like he just defended the title against Mr. Perfect, and I can turn my TV off, and I can be done with it. <laughs> Indeed, and I wonder if some people did. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I'd love to know. I guess on Saturday night's main event, they're going to bring out everything they can because they got to keep that rating and keep that deal. But there's just something about it that if you know, like Warrior's going to be the guy in some way, you've got to reflect that. And I almost wonder, I guess maybe the main event segment is Warrior, but I always thought in these shows the main event segment was early on. And so should Warrior have been the first match and Hogan been a later match? I'm not sure. I was definitely I, – I don't remember Hogan ever going on fourth on Saturday Night's yeah. main events. I'll say that for sure. So you may have something there. You can't – because one of two things happens, and this is a WWF problem. Like when, when I know you're lying to me and it becomes obvious that you're lying to me, you need to admit the lie and change your guard or change your pace, change your direction. But WWF likes to tell you a lie that you know you don't believe and then double and triple down on it. So – the fact that Ultimate Warrior is not working, they need to more and more pretend like he's working. <laughs> and, you know, there's so much in this in this night that reminds me of, like, current WWE and the reason I don't watch it, you know. Mm. And I just see them playing games with me that I'm not a fan of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, there, there's something missing in this event for sure. So um, hopefully we'll have it bounce back up. I know there will be good stuff in this uh, period to come, but uh, there, there's going to be bad as well. We're definitely in that at least mixed bag era at this point. Yeah, it's fascinating to me that we got Rude versus Warrior, I think, coming at the next one. So we got the SummerSlam main event on the next Saturday night's main event. I've never understood why they ran that match early, um, but they're going to do it, and uh, we'll, we'll just see how it goes, I guess. All right, so we'll get up to the ring. This is our first matchup. Hulk Hogan is taking on Mr. Perfect. He's already wrestled Genius and Perfect before, uh, but this is the rematch uh, as we go to the matchup. Yep, yep. The man who broke the world title, although you'll never hear about it ever again. Yeah. <laughs> they can remember Dino Bravo's uh, bench press. They can't remember Mr. Perfect busting up that title. So, oh, uh, well. Um, this match is it's all right. Like um, yeah. It's kind of what probably you would expect. Mr. Perfect is very physical. He does a lot of bumping. And I really got to praise him because you hear a lot about Perfect, like, the way he bounces, which is super impressive. But I was really noticing in this match, he also does a lot of scrambling. Just, like, the the physical energy of this guy is so off the charts in this era that he can almost make a match uh, really regardless of who he's fighting. Like, his match with Beefcake, obviously very disappointing ending, but that was probably the best singles match Beefcake has had maybe ever, and it wasn't even that good, but just like Mr. Perfect, he can do a lot in this era, so I really got to praise him in an over-the-top way, because he is wonderful, he's about to become Intercontinental Champion and do some really wonderful work, so I got to praise the guy a lot. Yeah, he makes the matches very volatile, because he's not just selling big, but like you say, he's scrambling, and even his offense, like, he does an over-the-side hip toss where he just slings his opponent, he does it to Hulk Hogan, so... It, it, what that weird motion that he has when he's selling, he also brings into some of his offense when he goes on the attack. Oh, absolutely. And some of my favorite um, squash matches of this era are for Mr. Perfect, because he will really wreck a guy, and he will be mean and vicious. He will bring that guy up to the camera and tell him to, like, say hello to their mother at home mm-hmm. while he beats him up. And just, like, 
just some great heel stuff. So I, I got nothing but good things to say about Mr. Perfect. If he was a few inches taller in this era, I think he'd be a he'd be a problem in Vince Man's world because <laughs> he has the right attitude. He has the attitude of the 85, 86, 87 WWF, and you're not seeing as much of that anymore. Yeah, if he had a physique like Warrior, then uh, who knows? But then he couldn't do what he did because that yeah. physique is very uh, anti the movement that Mr. Perfect could do. So this is the one I think both things are true. It's pretty standard. Like one guy gets an offense, and the other guy gets an offense. But if you do like to see Mr. Perfect just uh, do what he does in his own style, it's worth checking out for that. But otherwise, it is more you get your offense, then I get my offense, and then we go to the close. Yep, and I gotta say, I didn't love the close here. Um, this is part and parcel, I think, to Hogan becoming more and more lazy, more and more formulaic. Uh, Henning hits the perfect plex, Hogan kicks out, he makes his stupid duck face. I don't think I've talked enough about how mm. I hate Hogan's duck face. And uh, you, if, if you know Hogan, you know what I'm talking about. He just, like, purses his lips, and <laughs> I don't know what he's supposed to communicate, but it's like, it looks dumb. He's wagging his finger, he hooks up, he wins, like, pretty much with no problem. So, uh, we're definitely more in the era where we are not going to be praising Hulk Hogan for his in-ring uh, accomplishments. Yeah, Vince Man refers to him as the 300-pound Hulk Hogan at one point in the match. <laughs> um, oh, after the match, Hogan beats up Genius because he's a heel manager and that uh, you're supposed to. Uh, Vince Man says, I bet that Genius is smarting. And uh, Vince, Jesse Ventura says, who wrote that one for you, McMahon? <laughs> I missed that exchange somehow. Yeah. That almost makes it all worthwhile. Almost. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay, so you know that's happening because Hogan needs his revenge. Hogan gets his revenge. Uh, and then the model is on a horse uh, after this because we're going to get four segments where he is advertising arrogance uh, for men. A cologne, I suppose. I'd like... Um, I like this guy. I like this guy a lot. I'll just say that. I like Rick Rattel. I like these segments. I thought they were funny. I thought I've, I've been very clear that Rick Martel shouldn't have turned heel in the first place. He should have stayed babyface. But if you're going to turn him heel, you're going to give him a wacky gimmick. You might as well go all in on it. I really enjoyed these commercials. I thought they were funny. I thought they were effective to kind of get over, like, kind of the fullness of the model character, which is now, I think, really kind of fully come into its own. So... If you're going to do it, this is the way. I, I did enjoy this. I think my only c- critique is that I liked him in it, so, you know. <laughs> he still doesn't have to be a heel in my book, but, you know, that's where we're going with it. <laughs> okay. Oh uh, you All said right. something earlier. I'm going to go ahead and apologize. I know there are a lot of John Tenta fans, and I'm not necessarily even knocking John Tenta, but so far, this earthquake gimmick is doing nothing for me because... And it, there's this almost seemingly off-screen storyline, like Goldberg-like surge of, like, I guess 30 people have been sent to the hospital. But the only thing you see on screen featured is the silly, like, bouncing around while Jimmy Hart makes earthquake puns. Like, he almost seems like a joke in one way and the most serious thing in the WWF in another and it's just not it's not hitting for me yet, and we're getting closer to Hogan feud, so I just want to say that. No, I get it as well. Uh, I think John Tenta has his strong points. I won't take those away from him, but he has never been a favorite of mine. 
And one reason definitely is some, a lot of the stuff in this era is just not impressive to me. You know, it is the, you know, he doesn't have a good look. I'll just say that. And that's not a be all, but that's a part. And yeah, like the, the, the shuffling back and forth from one foot to another is not like that does nothing for me. Jimmy Hart. Yeah. He has nothing but like bad puns and references. And I don't know, like this, this has a lot to prove to me if I'm going to appreciate it the way some have uh, suggested I might. So uh, yeah. we shall see. Other than the Ultimate Warrior, I think the most momentum in the WWF right now is in this earthquake, you know. And I don't know if it's because he came up with Dino Bravo, but he reminds me a lot of Dino Bravo as far as when he's back. Because Bravo was shift and stuff back there, too. Yeah. And they're both with Jimmy Hart, and Jimmy Hart is a minor character. Like, I really, my God, we'll talk about Sherry in Japan um, later on. But I am firmly... I don't know if Slick, this makes Slick number three, but Sherry is number two and close to Bobby Heenan and what she is capable of. Mm. You know, to me, that's one, two, three, and then nobody else. Like Mr. Fuji until Yokozuna. Like if you got Mr. Fuji and Jimmy Hart, I guess till Hulk Hogan. But right now, if you got Mr. Fuji or Jimmy Hart, unless you do something to elevate them, they're going to go down. You you and my mind will go down to the level that they are currently on. Yeah, I, that's fair. I, I kind of have the same feeling. Um, and uh, I'll just say, you said Earthquake has like kind of the second most momentum. That's clearly where they want the momentum to be. Yeah. But I'll say again, like there, there, there's one thing on the show that has genuine momentum, and we're going to talk about that uh, towards the end of the show. So, okay. uh, you know, it, it ain't here. It ain't with the Earthquake, in my opinion. Oh, I agree. Ultimate Warrior's not number one either, but yeah. Nope. It just is there. <laughs> In that intent, you know, yes, it's an amazing yes. thing to have sent 30 people to the hospital, you know? It should be, certainly. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> but every time he's up here, I'm like, oh, my God, I do not want to hear this. Right. And, like, he's wrestling Hillbilly Jim now, so, you know, you can imagine what you're going to get in the promo. <laughs> uh, the match will not be what I expected, actually, but um, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. I just got to point out, Jimmy Hart ends this promo by referencing the rape scene in the movie Deliverance, and why <laughs> did that I did not happen? hear that. That was baffling to me. Wow, I must have skipped past the end of it. <laughs> I did not hear that. What? Okay. He's like, oh, you're going to squeal like the like in the movie Deliverance or so, like something like uh. that, and I'm sorry, but that is, that's a rape scene, so <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, Jimmy. That's not really appropriate for this um, scenario. <laughs> no, He's gonna he's gonna sit on you in a move that doesn't look convincing is what's gonna actually happen. <laughs> That's another problem that I have is that for, for sending thirty people to the hospital, that is the least convincing um, move to do it that I have almost ever seen. I have never liked Earthquake's sit down splash. I don't like it. Should look like something, and it just never looks like anything. So I don't know. I like you, the name. You made of a great the- point. Yokozuna will sit on people in a way that I would be like, skip the hospital, send them to the morgue. For God's sakes, yeah. and uh, earthquake—he ain't that. That's for sure. I would not. I would not let the bonsai drop be done to me. Never. Oh my God, I would fill up my will if it had to happen. So, yeah. if earthquake There's was gonna sit on me, I'd be like, all right, yeah, sure, if you want to, but I guess I don't know. Yeah, because he, he he sits down, and then you call it a splash. Like you see where he sits down in the air, <laughs> and then you know. Yeah, it just uh, that ain't it, you know. So. Have you seen when the Undertaker sits up to avoid the bonsai? 
I th- and he almost does it too late. I think so, yes. He could have been a real dead man there. Yeah. Or he could have been where the sun don't shine if he had timed it wrong. So. Yeah, so that's coming again. We keep Somehow we keep talking about this, but we are two to three years away from Yokozuna. So we're going to see what they're attempting to do uh, actually work uh, in a little while. I, I think we're really yearning to be anywhere from 18 months to uh, three years beyond where yeah. we are currently. So... <laughs> And the weird thing is I find Hillbilly Jim charming in a way because I like some of his announcement yes. stuff that he's done. So I actually found myself referring Hillbilly Jim to Earthquake in this. <laughs> you know what? Actually, me as well. Um, I've seen too many Hillbilly Jim matches to say I like the guy. But like when, when he did the little promo with Gene Oakland backstage, yeah, he is like kind of charming. He seems very nice. Um, you know, he's talking quickly about his grandma and about pigs and hogs and how earthquake reminds him of one but he's doing it in like a weirdly nice way like it might yeah. be a compliment so yeah i don't know he's like a very nice person i guess and then he's about to tell a second story about his family and gene just cuts him off and sends him <laughs> to the ring he could have talked all night i think about it i, I gotta appreciate the dedication because they were like well you're a hillbilly from a place called mudlick and he has like a whole life built out for himself, like within yes. this character. He really put himself into it, so I got to give credit to that. Think about that. Like in my initial fandom, you couldn't tell me something that I would less want to see than a hillbilly Jim talking about his past, <laughs> and yet he does it in a way that is full. So like, where is Dragon from? I know where Texas Tornado is from because it's in his name, but other than that, <laughs> you know. But this guy, hillbilly Jim's running circles around. The characters that we're going to see in the next few years from a character standpoint. And when you're saying that, you're really in trouble if people care about characters and story. Yeah. I mean, I think you just have to look at the year he debuted to understand why. There was just a lot more legwork being done at that time. You know, we, we didn't even see much of it, but he was a guy. They showed him in the crowd for weeks and months cheering for Hogan. He got mm. involved. Hogan, like, gave him his wrestling boots. It was like a whole big story. And, yeah, he's got all these stories about, like, being back in Mudlick and all these things. And, uh, yeah, like, I, I I would never probably volunteer to watch a bunch of Hillbilly Jim matches, but if he wanted right. to live in our little enclosure with Kamala and uh, Giant Gonzalez and some of these yes. other people, like, yes. I, I would be okay with that. Absolutely. He might be the mouthpiece for them. Like, you know. <laughs> they don't yet know. would be, but uh, if not him, so. Yeah, I just feel like they don't know that they're characters in the way that that's part of why I bring them together is that I see so much of what they could have been. Yeah. And I think maybe he, at least telling them his story, like, yeah, I'm Hillbilly Jim, but I've got a backstory. Like, that, they might realize, like, forgotten memories. Like, oh, I'm also a human being with a story, too, and I can tell that story. So he and Big Josh would be great friends, I think. Yes. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) WWF. I love how they make fun of Big Josh, uh, wrestling world and him bringing bears to the ring. But if he had done it in WWF, it'd be like, oh, the classic. He's in the Hall of Fame and those classic bear segments. (laughs) (laughs) Man, whoever makes fun of Big Josh needs to get their head checked because those bears were awesome. Big Josh was awesome. I'm looking forward to Doink the Clown, man. Matt Boren, he's where it's at. So you cannot make fun of him if you're around me. Yeah, I'm going to tell you one more thing, and then we'll get to the match. We were trying, it sounds like, to do anything but get to the matches, and I think that might be accurate. Uh, there is a segment, if, I, if my memory is correct, where Yokozuna is going to send Hacksaw Jim Duggan out on a stretcher, and there's going to be someone in the crowd crying as it happens. Mm. You know, it's not me, because it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan, but that's what I thought we were going to get, because we're moving to Earthquake 
versus Hulk Hogan. And Earthquake is now taking credit for Hulk Hogan's loss. And I know this is kind of the big feud that's going to semi-retire Hulk Hogan. So I thought we were going to get this deeply emotional segment where Hillbilly Jim, as a friend of Hulk Hogan, was going to be destroyed kind of the way the hacksaw will be, I think, with the American flag over him and all this kind of stuff. But instead, we got the, the send him to the hospital and bring out the stretcher. But there's no emotion. There's no feeling. There's nothing different than any other time that he sends someone to the hospital. Yeah, for sure. I Like I said, this feud has a lot to prove to me. Um, I think this promo, because they get another promo for some reason, Jimmy Hart and Earthquake do, and we're going to see a clip of Earthquake in the most horrible brown outfit sitting on Hogan. And, man, like, he should have been disqualified just for his terrible choice in uh, ring gear. I'll just say that and leave it there. Um, Yeah. There's a moment where Hillbilly Jim slamming his head slowly into the turnbuckle, and he's making this, like, dazed face. (laughs) <laughs> and he looks like he would be a likable father character, either like Tim Allen's best friend on Home Improvement type character <laughs> or, you know, like he does not look like a man who wants to like send all these people to the hospital to me. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think I said in another episode, he looks like a dad or something you know, yes. with the, the hairline and the face and uh, he doesn't really seem mean. And yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't. He should have almost been, like, more of a likable character or something. I actually think it would have worked out better for him. So. Yeah. He regrets not spending so much time with his teenage uh, daughter or son. Now they're on a road trip, and he has to try to make it right. You know? <laughs> but not not this. <laughs> oh, I can just see him peering over the fence in Home Improvement. So that's a good, yes. uh, a good reference there. <laughs> but I think it's a problem in it. Because, again, it's not knocking John Tenton necessarily, but, like, you... If you sent 30 people to the hospital and now you want to end Hulkamania, I really need to believe the evil in you. And right now, I don't know if he knows that he's sending these people. I think if someone would run up to him and be like, you know, when you do those aftershocks, they really make sense because an earthquake has aftershocks, but you're actually hurting these people. I feel like he would be sad and repent and would stop doing it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I never get a, a, an evil vibe off of earthquake. So that, that's a very good point. Um, I also just want to say this match um, <laughs> here's another problem because Earthquake gets in this match and Hillbilly Jim just beats him up. Yes. <laughs> like, like this is a very short match, but it's probably like <laughs> 75% Hillbilly Jim just like yes. beating up Earthquakes. So I'm sorry, man. I didn't even know Hillbilly Jim still wrestled. So if this guy is beating the crap out of you so easily, <laughs> maybe you're not a match for Hulk Hogan or anybody. <laughs> That's such a good point. Like Earthquake goes after him before the match misses, and then Hillbilly Jim has his way with him until Jimmy Hart interferes and distracts Hillbilly Jim and there's a splash from behind, and the match ends soon after. So as long as there's agency in both competitors, he dominates Earthquake. <laughs> Baffling. Very strange match. Strange gimmick. Strange push. I don't know. Obviously, it's going to be a big deal when he sits on Hogan for real. But, um, yeah, right now I'm not feeling it. So I'm there with you. I had zero thought to talk about gimmicks instead of wrestlers. And that's almost all we've talked about. But it's now hitting me that the reason that he shifts back and forth, you know, before the match is because he's not the wrestler that's the earthquake. He is an earthquake. Like, he's the earthquake. That's why there's aftershocks after. Like, he is not a human being. He's a device of nature that Jimmy Hart's using. And so... I don't think there's a world where you can dehumanize all the people and make them nothing but gimmicks. And I'm going to watch weekly to see what they do, because if I've seen them do something one time, I know what they're going to do every other time. Right. 
And it's not just a question of repetition, because we've talked from 85 about how they like to drill down on one thing. Like, I can live with that, you know, if if it's done in a certain way. But now it's like, in the past, it was like that thing was like the main thing, but there were like a thousand other things that kind of made up the picture. And now it's like just the thing. Like with Earthquake, I don't think they did it here, but sometimes on TV when he walks out, they're like, shake the camera, like he's actually causing an earthquake. And it's just like, it's so cheesy, and it's like, man, this ain't it. It just, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah, and what they drilled down on was, like, arguments and narratives and claims. Like, if you actually saw good politics again, like, good politics, and also kind of bad politics, because politics should not be professional wrestling, but good politics would be almost – that you maybe you prefer one politician over another, but when you watch the other one's speech, you start thinking, "Oh my God, I don't want to admit it, but if you actually look at it from that viewpoint, you know that's what was going on with like Bobby Heenan and Hulk Hogan. If they wanted to get ratings in this era and they wanted to like, oh, let's shift up what we're drilling down on, the only way they could do it is like your friend could call you and be like, "Did you watch Superstars this week?" You're like, "Nah, I already know what's going to happen." You idiot! Um, the the earthquakes spun around like a Texas tornado, and the Texas tornado jumped up and down, and then you're like, oh my god, they switched it up, and I missed it. But no, you know, it's still, it's just like, no, sorry. No. Not the same thing. <laughs> oh my god, I kind of want to see that now. Like, if someone yeah. said that to me, I would be sad I missed that episode of Superstars. But... I, I thought that too. It really hurt my argument, as I was saying it. I was like, I want to see the Texas tornado jumping up and down like an earthquake, and earthquake spinning. <laughs> Is there uh, one more just, of these guys? Oh, did, did someone who blew, and someone had to fire the dragon's fire. So yeah, uh, the model did, and yeah, the model and, and, and Ricky Steamboat wear perfume. Did. So <laughs> yes, I think we just played the best hour of wrestling in the history of the sport. I believe we did. Oh my gosh! All right, so to finish this match, <laughs> yes, Earthquake squishes him and then squishes him again after the match, and Jesse Ventura says, and he's not wrong. Don't call people pigs and hogs because they might sit on you. I think mm. that's actually a valuable uh, lesson for the children to learn. So, so maybe maybe uh, earthquake is just teaching people not to call people names. So. Yeah, I can see that. Rick, uh, we're back to Rick Martel. Um, he's in the back doing another arrogance scene, and I now want to see Ricky Steamboat back there spraying that stuff, and then like the the, the worst look on his face, and he's like angry. The new cologne for men. <laughs> I think he would wear rage or something like that. Yes. You know, so. <laughs> oh, my. Maybe you could figure this out for me because Jesse Ventura is about to be with the Heart Foundation. I've never seen him with anyone but heels, and he's treating them like they're heels. But to the best of my knowledge, they are not heels. I do not understand this because they heroically stopped the Russians at WrestleMania and by SummerSlam, I know they're going to be the faces and Demolition will be the heels. So what the hell is happening here? I don't know. Jesse Ventura just walked in the room and, like, turned them heel for one night somehow just by proximity. It's very, very strange to me. I did not know this happened. Yeah. And this is more stuff where it's just most of the time I know what's going on when we watch this stuff. And it's another one that just. It's kind of fun because Jesse and Terry calls the Rockers somersaulting sissies and Bret Hart calls them tumbling teeny boppers, <laughs> you know, and that sounds a lot like uh, it's not far off from when they're going to shoot on each other, Brett and Sean. So you kind of see that he at least has an opinion before dislike about them if forced to go that route. Indeed. Indeed. So that's something. Yeah. 
I don't know. I guess maybe this is something they were considering and they didn't really go all in with because, yeah, Demolition, they will bring in Crush and they will play the numbers game and they will be heels. And uh, we will get into the period where Vince McMahon clearly hates their guts for some reason. But, um, you know, in the meantime, yeah, I guess tonight the heart this whole this whole thing is weird. Like Demolition's going to come down and I don't know why and they're going to get involved, but I don't know what their aim is. And it's just, it's going to be really strange. So I don't really know what to make of what we're going to get into here. Yeah, I apologize to listeners uh, who want to hear good things because, again, <laughs> you're about to have the Heart Foundation versus the Rockers. So if you want to watch that and you enjoy both of them, you're going to see them do all their, all their things. But I was very irritated during this, too, because I don't know. Number one, you can't just, like, either their heels or their baby faces. So maybe we missed something, but. You know, it's weird, and then Demolition's going to be down there, and then I've seen enough of their matches to know that it's not going to end. So, like, if, if they can never beat one another also, just stop having the match over and over again. Yeah, that's that's true also. We've watched this a few times in different contexts. I don't think they've ever had a finish in any of their matches. So, I mean, that's kind of part and parcel to the era, but there's kind of a way to do it, and this ain't the way, I think. So, you know... Yeah, it might have been smart for Vince to convince one of them that he prefers the other one now versus later. <laughs> well, that's a puzzle he's never going to quite sort out until we get a long ways down the line. So, oh, boy. Um, yeah, this match, like, it's a solid match. I wouldn't say a bad thing about it necessarily as far as the match goes. No. But uh, it didn't excite me that much. It's just kind of straightforward, kind of like the minimum of what you'd expect. And then we get this weird thing where Demolition just walks down to the ring and I don't really know why. And Brett yells at them, and Sean kind of, like, kicks him out of the ring. And then Demolition walks over to Brett. They don't do anything except maybe try to help him up. And he, like, shoves them around. And then they do the same thing with Sean a little bit later. And Demolition, like, they never do anything. But just, like, people start attacking them. And then everybody fights, and the match is over. And I just, I don't know what anyone was trying to accomplish here. I don't know what their problems are. I think they all need to go, like talk out their issues because they're just being very aggressive with no clear goal in mind here. Yeah. And it's one where Jesse tries to push it. And so Vince, they have no explanation for why they're down there. The demolition have no reason. Like there's nothing you can watch them to understand. And so eventually you're like, Oh, it's a device for the match to end in, in, in a no contest. <laughs> okay, cool. I guess it's like, oh, they're trying to check out their competition. Venture is like, they could do that on the monitor, and yeah. there is no response to that that makes sense. So, you know, it is what it is. And then, like, Vince says, oh, the referee has decided that demolition can stay out there as long as they don't interfere. <laughs> <laughs> wow, how nice of him, I guess. So, yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's odd. It was a letdown. You know, I thought I, this match was going to be better than it was. You know, I'll just say that. And, and a lot of the kind of spots that I liked in it, I have seen, but it's the same spot. So if you've seen the match before, you've seen the match. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that happens. And I don't know, like, to me, maybe if SummerSlam was the Rockers versus the Hart Foundation for them versus Demolition, I might not have the same complaints. <laughs> right, yeah. I, they wouldn't do that in this era, but it almost seems like that's what they're doing. But I don't know. At the next Saturday, uh, Saturday night's main event, it's going to be Demolition versus the Rockers, I think. So, uh mm. You know, I guess we'll we'll see what that comes to. Absolutely. So Sean Mooney, uh, Miss Fan alluded to this. He's back with Earthquake again, and they're celebrating Earth Day. God, I I don't know. <laughs> they just get a second segment to relive when they sat on some people, and we just see 
I'll just say it again, the worst outfit maybe I've ever seen that Earthquake sat on Hogan while he was wearing it. I think Hogan was more injured by that horrible brown uh, leotard than he was by anything else. So here we are. Yeah, and I don't know, man. I don't know this feud because I missed it pretty much, I think, in my life. So we'll see how it goes. But is it going to be 91 that the Natural Disasters are a tag team? <laughs> I believe so. And there's a whole thing with that too. So we'll wait. We'll 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 get to that. But it's just interesting. The earthquake is supposed to be so amazing in this, and even you know, he's not gonna be that long until he's a tag team wrestler and out of out of this whole journey. <laughs> yeah. So. No. This won't. I, beyond. Uh, well, he's got this, and then he's got to sit on uh, Damien. So he's got oh, that yeah, coming yeah. too. Um, but yeah, eventually it'll be a tag team, and he'll kind of fade away, and then it'll be the avalanche and the shark and every other weird thing. So weird career of John Tenta. Um, Does he have a sumo match against Yokozuna in the series? Oh my God. Maybe. I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. That would be news to me, but it's not impossible. So maybe it's not Yoko. Maybe it's someone else. But I thought he, he has a sumo it, so. background, a legit one, I think yeah. is John Tenta. Um, so it could easily be. Nah, it's a uh, Yokozuna versus earthquake sumo match. All right, cool. Okay. Wow. So he's right. got he's got a ways to go. He's got a little while with us. We'll see how it goes. Right now, though, we kind of mentioned it. Hulk Hogan says that Hulkamania is like a Texas tornado. And, <laughs> I picked you up know, on that too. They liked it so much they had to name a whole guy after it. So. And then he also says that um, the strongest force is not um, something a ty- something in a typhoon or an earthquake. So. I think I think he mentions typhoon also. So. Yeah. They get all sorts of ideas off of this segment. Yeah, like, we'll just build every future wrestler out of this segment. (laughs) (sighs) I'm not a narcissist, brother, but I could slay a dragon, and, uh, I don't know. Yep, yep, Uh, yep. um, He also uh, imagines his Hulkamaniacs with broken bones from the fight with Earthquake, so we are well into the era of children being maimed in Hulk Hogan's rhetoric. Yeah, I don't remember how Gene launched that, but I'm guessing Gene referred to Hulk Hogan, and then Hulk Hogan says, somehow our broken bones would heal, and we're off to the Hulkamaniacs uh, suffering the same fate as Hulk Hogan. You know, no heel that I have ever seen ever threatens to harm the Hulkamaniacs, and yet there will be nothing in Hulk Hogan's rhetoric except this from this point on. It will always be that, like, the children will have their bones broken, or the children will be gassed, by Sergeant Slaughter, or the children will be in a mass grave because of Undertaker, or whatever lunacy Hulk Hogan <laughs> lazily pulls out from this point on. I think the sad thing is to, we want to see if this bears out, but part of me thinks in the heyday of Hulk Hogan, this is why um, he did better than other people, even though it sounds weird, is he asked them to be part of it. Like He makes them part of the struggle. He hurts, they hurt, so they are... Like I said before, they have to be in the building or watching TV because they feel like they impact. It's like they say in politics, even if someone, you have someone's vote, they want you to ask for it. And he involves them. But then almost like an abusive relationship, like eventually they're going to be like, well, I'm not a Hulkamaniac anymore. I don't like that stuff. I've kind of moved on to other people. And so when they're not – when they no longer are consenting to be part of it and you're still making the claims, it comes off in a whole different way. <laughs> I, was, I think there's a lot to the fact – uh, the way he involves the fans was very uh, impactful in his career, both in his promos and in his matches as well. Yeah. And yet uh, 
as with many things, the difference between three, four, five years ago and now is very palpable in terms of the way yeah. he is doing that and the, the laziness of it and the taken for grantedness of it. And even just the words he chooses, because like when he wrestled Andre, he was never like, Andre is going to come and break your bones, children. You know, <laughs> it was like it was just very different at that time. Yeah. So we're just in a different world now with Hulk Hogan. It also accents that beautiful Royal Rumble 92 moment that we keep building to more, because mm, yep. if if Psycho or Sid Justice, excuse me, Sid Justice can throw you over the top rope and ruin the Royal. You won the last two Royal Rumbles and this one's for the belt and he throws you out. Nothing could be more crushing to Hulkamania and the Hulkamaniacs. But if the fans can cheer, then in that real time moment, the fans are realizing something bad can happen to Hulk Hogan and it be good <laughs> for us. Oh, yes, we, we are building up to that rejection of Hulkamania <laughs> to the rejection of this, uh, devil's deal he made with the fans where they would feel all his pain so uh they're not feeling his pain on that night that's for sure yeah and you think about too he came to them as children so it's like at five years old they signed a contract with him oh, you know now they're 13 14 15 16 are they going to honor that contract or are they going to cheer who they want to cheer he's, he's kind of devilish you know yeah the whole story <laughs> about like uh, a kid who signed at five and now he's 12 and he wants to like break out of this contract with this orange devil who's like <laughs> breaking his bones and stuff, man, I would read that book actually. Now that I say that. So, yeah. And like, what are the parents implicit? Like, did he, have, did they have to sign off for their five year old or were they part <laughs> of it? Because at the time it's like, Oh, you're going to talk about morality and you're going to be the embodiment of all this good. And I can sign this contract and my children have this guide and then at the same time that the children are older and won't, don't want to be a fan of him anyway, then the steroid thing is going to break. He's going to talk about he was a liar. He wasn't actually doing these things, you know. So that contract is going to become controversial in about a hundred different ways. <laughs> uh, to know the the depth of that, just read uh, Benjamin Button's recent columns in the the lopforums.com. So a great nightmare reliving of uh, mm -hmm. the effects of that revelation on a young Benjamin Button. So. Absolutely. Do check that out. Some very great stuff there. Yeah, and it's already appealing. And this is another time where you know that they're not bringing you the best of the best because we're sitting here and fantasy booking the stuff because you could easily take 1990 and make it as good or as at least maybe 88 and 89. Like you could like it just needs a little time and attention and story and you yep. can be about where you were, I think. Yeah, stop thinking about your next movie, Vince. There's wrestling. Yeah. You you haven't actually solved wrestling the way you think you have. So. No, 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 you haven't, and you never <laughs> will. Uh, Jesse Ventura is with Bobby Heenan and Haku, who is, again, challenging for the world title, whether you believe he is or not. <laughs> uh, Bobby Heenan makes fun of Texas as only he can. He does his thing. But to your point, I don't have many notes about this promo. Because, A, I think this show was sapping my energy a little when I was watching it. And, B, uh, yeah, what do you say about the Ultimate Warrior? You know, you can really only say so much. It kind of neutralizes your ability to speak. Because you don't know what the hell he's saying or what he's about. So what can you even say about him? Yeah. I like that Haku speaks. He says, you know your history to Jesse, but tonight I'll make history. Man, I love when Haku speaks English. It pops me every time. Because it happens so little. Yeah. <laughs> 
Man, that that was a good little moment. And and they, they bring out the strand that I do like, which is a memory that Bobby Heenan knows what it takes to beat the Ultimate Warrior. Man, we've talked about this before, but Haku, he has so many great moments, and yet he still feels like this big missed opportunity. Because I've talked about it before, I'm still watching in, like, WCW 98, and he's coming out and just, like, death ripping people. And people, like, there's huge pops for it, and it's very exciting. And, like, many times I feel like this guy is just going to be written off, and yet he'll come back and he'll be great again. So it's like, just appreciate this man, for God's sake. So I love Haku. Haku is amazing. Um, I like that when we get to Japan, he's going to be called King Haku again. Yes, yes, he will. And he'll be actually working babyface, which, holy crap, I have rarely seen that. That's going to be exciting as well. Okay, so let's move through this. Uh, Miz fan will make his points later, and he'll have good ones because Warriors wrestling sucks. But um, this is Warrior with Gene Erkeland, and this is my point that I think his matches might be better than his promos. First of all, he starts with his back to the camera, and that's to me that's bad enough. But that that is mild compared to where we'll be by the end of it. He's talking about darkness again. Like I've never seen someone talk so much about darkness as they take the reins as the new uh, babyface. I still don't know uh, about this darkness. He can't control the past. There's always these events he can't control, which, you know, like, what can you do? I know, I already know a list of what you can't do. Talk to me about what you can do. But I just ask people to watch this promo and look at Gene Erkland's face. Like, he looks so annoyed. And eventually, it is the most limp attempt to hold a microphone. Like, his his arm is bent down, and the mic's almost falling out of it because it's in the middle of the back of the Ultimate Warrior, who's now gone to the side of the locker room and is completely away from Gene Erkland. I don't know if he's supposed to stay there or not. But Gene Oakland looks like he's having the worst time of his life in this promo. <laughs> yeah, and it's not the first time he's looked unhappy in an Ultimate yeah. Warrior promo. So, uh, to your point, I love Gene Oakland, and yes, to see him uh, in this scenario is not good. And he always gets insulted, too. Like, Warrior talks about, again, he's, like, too normal or something. Yes. He, he says he has a normal hourglass, which I guess in... Warrior world is an insult, so I don't even know what to make of that. Yeah, you you also have a normal hourglass or else. <laughs> How did you know to be at WrestleMania? How do you know what your legacy looks like? like if you if you're on a different clock than the rest of the world, how would you? Yeah, right, you stop. Yeah, stop. I was shocked at the length of this promo. Like <sighs> it just seemed to keep going and going and going, yeah. and he was just talking about nothing and. I, I I don't know. That was very surprising to me in a bad way. I wanted to hear Hillbilly Jim's family story, and that got cut <laughs> off. I wanted to know where he was going. Yes. Oh, I would much rather hear that. I got horrible and garbage written over this, so that's where I was. <laughs> I'll tell you everything you need to know right there. But I think Miz fans going to have a great point coming up because uh, we're about to get – this is this – is, Prime time, prime, prime time television, and this is the Ultimate Warriors coming out as heavyweight champion in this match with Haku. Mm. Yeah, this match, I like, I almost have no notes about it because Warrior, he just wins easily. He kind of treats Haku like he's nothing. There's a little back and forth, kind of like perfunctory, but, uh, you know, it might as well not have happened. He might as well just run out and won in 30 seconds. He probably would have accomplished just as much. And then we would have had time to hear more of Hillbilly Jim's stories. So that would have been better. And maybe it does it for you if you're a Warrior fan, but I cannot stand Ultimate Warrior beating up Haku with the belt still around his waist. Yeah. Like, Haku is not. mm -mm. Like, 
1998, Chris Jericho will do that uh, as Cruiserweight Champion. And he does it because he's a heel. He's like a jerk. Like, you see yeah. him do that. Like, wow, what a, only a jerk would do that. And guess what? It has the same energy in 1990. So, I get I, what? He's too stupid to, like, take the belt off, I guess, is the idea. Or, like, he's just too in the zone. On, on his planet, they don't take belts off. You know, I don't even know what to make of it, but, uh, you know. Yeah. I was going to try to serve you up, like, a devil's deal between, like, Warrior and Duggan, but I don't even have the heart to do it because, like, it's just the same bad energy on both sides. Just, like, ignore your opponent. They don't even have to be there. Just, like, act like an idiot or a jerk, and just that, that'll be your whole life, I guess. Yeah, and the worst thing I can say to that is – if Duggan is worse than Warrior, it's only because he's better than Warrior. Because <laughs> it just means like he's doing this annoying garbage better than the Ultimate Warrior. Like he's louder and he's more obnoxious. Like Ultimate Warrior is a quiet version of this because he doesn't even know he's being something specific. He just this is just him wrestling a match. Right. Yeah. I'll say this for Jim Duggan. I never really heard about him being a jerk outside the ring. We've heard many testimonials about how nice this guy is. So guess what? Even if you are uh, in the ring, not even bothering to sell anything, you could at least not be a piece of garbage that is staining humanity. So, you know, there's that anyway. <laughs> yeah. If he had a little bit of the heart BK talks about, like, you yeah, would be like, yeah. he would be in tears to realize the kind of push that he's getting when he has earned nothing in the wrestling business. Like, he's going to take Haku by the arm and swing him in circles. Uh, at some point in this match. I don't know what he was trying to accomplish from that, but I'm just sitting watching the heavyweight champion like swing Haku in circles. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It, clearly it worked for some kids at the time. You know, even our listeners uh, who, who do not like Warrior now are very open about liking Warrior in the past, which I get to a certain extent. But man, like if you're if you're an adult like, like myself or the Mystic and you try to rewatch this, I, I, I will challenge you to find anything good about it. Yeah, I said two notes. The warrior is closer to a really bad Undertaker than Hulk Hogan. Like he just he's a monster. <laughs> he falls down and stands back up. And I said that the truest program that I have ever seen is Ultimate Warrior vomiting due to the voodoo of Papa Shango. Because if I know one thing about this character that I've learned so far, if Papa Shango came in saying that he does voodoo, Ultimate Warrior would believe it and would behave however Papa Shango moves him to behave. <laughs> Very susceptible to that kind of thing. I, I would have to agree with that. Oh, man, this is this is so bad because they're going to try to save it after the match because Bobby Keenan is brilliant and he's going to say he noticed some things about the Ultimate Warrior. But... <laughs> You know, can we also acknowledge that the whole thing that he said before the match, because he beat him before with Rick Rude, was he knew how to beat the Ultimate Warrior. Then the Ultimate Warrior dominates Haku, and then he learns some things from the match. But the whole idea that he knows how to beat the Ultimate Warrior, is that not kind of over after this uh, domination of Haku? <laughs> well, you know, it's on brand for Bobby Heenan. It wasn't over after WrestleMania three. Yeah. you know, it wasn't over... Um, when, when Paul Orndorff got beaten, I remember he once did a promo saying it was an optical delusion, you know, mm. so, like, uh, he's another one where he'll just say what he wants reality to be and hope that it's true and never works out for him like it does for others, but, uh, you know, it true. is what it is. Okay, so we're going to get a shoulder tackle and a splash, and the Ultimate Warrior will get the victory, and he has now defended the heavyweight title on Saturday night's main event. Yep, so he's over that hurdle, and we are that much closer to Warrior not being champion anymore. 
Absolutely. So the model is back uh, for a third time uh, to talk about arrogance. Something good, um, at least. I don't know if the children are watching. Watch the tennis one, folks, and and just I'll just leave it there. All right, Sean Mooney. <laughs> I think that might have been the one. I I couldn't catch it because his accent's very thick. But I could have sworn he says some tennis thing, and then he's like, Haha, "I don't know what that means." Mm. <laughs> he said that. That's very amusing to me. But um, yeah, I enjoyed those model things. I think he made a suggestive quote, if I'm not mistaken. Ooh, all right, okay. I may be wrong though. It's the uh, model. I hope he did it better than Jimmy Hart did. I'll just say that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sean Mooney is with Slick and a King. That's right, folks. We are getting. A WrestleMania 6 rematch, a King versus the Boss Man to close Saturday night's main event. I'll just say, thank God, this is on the show. They were probably, like, Rockers Hearts was probably a better match than this, like, if you really get down to it. But, man, this is the only thing on the show that, to me, had the energy of a, a, a past Saturday night's main event. Because uh, this is something that got me excited, that made me look forward to what is happening next. It's probably the only thing on the show that really did that, so I'm 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 coming out in favor of this whole thing we're about to talk about before we do. Yeah, it has the ongoingness of storyline that's flowing naturally. Mm. And there is one moment and we'll get to it that is just like a feel good moment. Uh that happens in real time. The fans enjoy it and it's actually it's kind of a surprise. So you know, I I think if there's anything fresh, oddly it's with the WrestleMania rematch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, this this feud, none of these boss man and key matches get any time. Like, there are a couple minutes, probably. But you know what? They accomplish everything they need to. They excite the fans. They do feel fresh. Um, before this match, as you say, we have Slick cutting a promo. And, man, I'll, I'll praise Slick again. You're very right to put him in that top trio of managers, guys who elevate the people that they are with. I got nothing but good things to say about Slick as usual here. Yeah, and we also get urgency because we're told by Slick that the Billion Dollar Man has upped his ante. Yeah, uh, so yeah. they're getting more money, there's more on the line, and he wants them to finish the job. So that that is urgency on this, and I think it's the first bit of urgency we've seen on the show. You you said a great thing. You said it feels like it's ongoing, and it really does. Uh, nothing else on this show felt to me like it was going anywhere, like not even the demolition whatever the hell like i guess that's going somewhere but i don't know where and i'm not excited about where it's going this this has me feeling excited because it feels like a story that is developing that is a real story that isn't just a weird gimmick so i'm feeling very hyped about this absolutely there's been a lot of telling i think we're gonna get some showing so you know because it's also this is the closest (laughs) to me that we got to narratives where nobody is super right or super wrong because Mm -hmm. Like, you can understand, like, Slick taking the money. Like, Slick is a heel. He's a wrestler. He manages wrestlers. They beat people up for a living. Someone offers you money to do a little more beating up with someone. You know, you can understand it. And it's almost, like, Big Boss Man, whether you want to say he's right or wrong, he's almost the more offensive one in the beginning because (laughs) it is out of character for him not to take the money because he's kind of been with these guys and been like these guys. And so... It's a segment that when I watch Slick and Akeem and they're mocking the boss man, they say that uh, money talks and boss man walks like I can see them really thinking that he's the one that has the lack of character because like he's always been like them. So when did he get uh, when did he become too good to participate in this? So it's got that flavor, you know, of WWF a few years back. 
Absolutely. But then you also see it from the boss man's side and yep. he speaks with such energy and conviction that you can see like you can see it on his side as well. So like both sides feeling very fleshed out here, feeling very complete, very compelling. I'm very much getting into this whole thing. I can't wait for this big boss man push that is just kicking off. From the day he walked in and feuded with Hogan, he has been one of the best things in this company. He will continue to be for the next few years. Yeah, I agree 100% because we go to Bossman next, and then you start feeling he's not the most aggressive, like intellectually assertive. So maybe he gave himself to Slick and Akeem, and he trusted them, and they started making decision after decision after decision that was further and further out of his comfort zone. And now he is declaring himself. Like you gotta watch his walk because like he's making some hard claims, but he is saying that this is not me. I'm not gonna be like this, and I'm not gonna do this. So they have drawn their lines in the sand, and they really there's nothing to do but fight at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And and remember when Bossman came in, who did he fight with? He fought with Hulk Hogan. And mm. if someone really believes in justice, then of course <laughs> you're gonna fight Hulk Hogan because uh, we all know what he's really about. You know, <laughs> he's probably just trying to save all those children who are caught up in yeah. that. Uh, dastardly hulkamania contract yeah so you know it's a different thing when uh you know dibiase's paying you off to do uh you know suspect things that that's a different story that's that's the heat to me here is with boss man and dibiase like these two are such big characters and i can can see why i think i think boss man would hate ted dibiase no matter what the situation was because Bossman is so weirdly soft-spoken, and Ted DiBiase is so over the top, and I, I just like uh, this pairing a lot. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely so. It's a very good pairing. Um, we also get, through this, a couple of mentions of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I have yes. to shout that out, A, for being a big part of my own childhood, and B, uh, very brave of them to reference the children's fad, which will pretty much uh, do as much damage to their business as Ultimate Warrior. Because um, mm. as much as we criticize the company and we criticize Warrior and all that stuff, guess what? On some level, children's fads just don't last. They had a few years where they are on top of the world. They'll get replaced by Ninja Turtles, who will get replaced by Power Rangers, and so on and so on. Um, you know, these things, they just don't last forever, especially when you're appealing to children. You know, their attention span, eventually it's going to go somewhere else. So, uh, so yeah, a few references to that. And uh, I just really had to highlight that because that is a big piece of the puzzle, I think, in this whole story. You saying that now makes me wonder if Jesse Ventura is saying that Gene Erkelin looks like one of the Ninja Turtles in order to try to hurt the, the brand of the Ninja Turtles. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know possible. that's not what they're going for. <laughs> I wouldn't discount anything with Ventura. Yeah, so we got that at the beginning. Uh, that's a shot uh, at Gene Erkelin, who he says just put a mask on him, and would he not look like one of the uh, Ninja Turtles? And he's then, not wrong either. I yeah. just want to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, he's not wrong. I don't know if that makes him right, but he's certainly not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> a good distinction. This is, again, like you said, I think these should be short matches. I don't want to see a king go, uh, but so long in a match. But... I like that they're honoring that feud by giving them a couple of matches, but we're definitely aware that it's kind of about Ted DiBiase and, and uh, Bossman also at this point. And I think, you know, this doesn't even exist yet, but if you're going to break up the Twin Towers, holy crap, you should know who the Michaels is and the Janetti, and they're, they're treating Akeem like the Janetti, and yeah. they should. They're, they're doing the right thing, I think, you know. Yes. Uh, they're putting Bossman over very strong, and holy crap, like, 
the, my favorite moment of this entire Saturday Night's main event. Uh, Akeem, he gets him down, he does the splash, and Bossman kicks out. It doesn't just kick out, he kicks out by, like, throwing Akeem across the ring. And he sits up, and the crowd is, like, screaming, like, I swear they didn't do for Hogan or Warrior. And I am, like, popping and just, my God, like, there is something here. The, this big push is coming. Bossman is going to be one of the most popular people in this company, and he's earning every bit of it here in a way that most of these guys aren't. Like, he should be in 87 or something for the way he is, like, punching upward and mm. just accomplishing so much here. He has a favorite. Like, I love that moment, and there's another moment in the match I like, but there's one after the match I also want to shout out. Mm. Uh, but uh, there's a pile driver attempt, too, where he reverses a pile driver and throws Akeem over the top rope. Yes, yes. Uh, that was so good. And you know what? We haven't praised Akeem that much, but I will praise him here because I yes. think he worked really hard to help Boss Man look just as good as he could. Um, the the problem with Akeem has never, I think, been his uh, willingness, you know, maybe just a, sort of a, a lumbering guy that could only do so much. But he, he put himself into this one, and I appreciate him for that. And, I agree. I thought the same thing. Akeem, uh, his only shortcoming really to me is he just can't not do much in the ring. He can't, he has no lift. Uh, mm-hmm. But in this matchup, he did exactly what he should do. Uh, Bossman is going to hit the finisher, but DiBiase and Virgil are going to run in. So it's another DQ, but it's kind of, it's going where it ought to go. Right. And it's going to start a big commotion after the matchup. Oh, yes, it is. A great post-match segment. Uh, DiBiase and, and Virgil show up. DiBiase handcuffs Bossman to the ropes but uh <laughs> this is great it's such a small thing boss man has the key to his own handcuffs so he uncuffs himself and he goes on the warpath and he chases ted dibiase like his life depends on it like both their lives depend on it so full commitment to this segment huge pop for me huge energy that this show desperately needed so i, I gotta praise everybody involved here to the maximum this might have been the only moment I was surprised in because when they handcuffed him and they got a nice dig, I had already prepared myself. Okay, so we're ending with like kind of a brutal segment where they use his own weapons against him, and that was fine with me. Like I was, I was there for it. But then Bossman is a babyface having the key to his handcuffs and letting himself out, and then doing that big leap in the air. Like that was my big like come alive moment for this show. Yeah, yeah, so good. Yeah, they they really pulled it out right at the end here. It was something that felt like it was out of a different year, and I say that in the best possible way. Absolutely. Um, I'm excited. I don't know how he'll hold up for me or not, but we are big Bossman fans, so I'm looking forward to seeing how he does in this like pivotal run that he has in the WWF. Oh, absolutely. The only sad thing is going to be over way too soon. You know, I think uh, 92, maybe very, very early 93 is going to be the last we see of this guy for a long time. And then uh, he'll come back in the Attitude Era, and it'll be something different. So we'll see what that is in the meantime. But, yeah, these next few years, I'm very excited about everything we're going to talk about. He's such a simple guy in, in an awesome way. Did, did I tell you what Bruce Pritchard at least claims why he left WWF? No, tell me. So remember, uh, around the time he leaves, Vince is got having the steroid uh, scandal. Sure, sure. And he was afraid, like he was legit fearful that his gimmick would be destroyed if they found out, like oh, he's a law enforcement like officer and he's working for Vince McMahon while he was doing all this shady stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he, he thought it was the end of his gimmick of going to Pritchard, and he just kind of bailed out. One of the biggest crimes, um, 
is that Big Boss Man was not allowed to keep using his gimmick over in WCW. Because you watch that early stuff, and man, he's as great as ever. He's just never quite the same without that gimmick. I don't know. Like, there's a lot in there. But I think wrestlers should at least partly own the gimmicks that they worked yeah. so hard to get over. Um, so that that is my feeling about that. <laughs> I agree. I also wish he had stayed longer because peak Yokozuna versus peak Boss Man. Oh, so good. So good. Man, Boss Man. man I know it's going to happen in kind of a bad way that people don't like, but man, there's there's a world where Bossman versus Undertaker is killer, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot. Bossman versus Foley, are you kidding me? In like 96 or something. God, there's just yeah. so many great possibilities here. There's so much. Uh, he could have kept He He's someone that you could put him in any roster anywhere, anytime, and he's only going to make it better. Absolutely. I was, they treated him like a jobber in WCW before the end, but man, he was still killing it every time he went out there that i could see so we will see i'm very curious about his attitude era stuff i've never seen any of it but uh i suspect i will think more highly of it than the reputation suggests so we will unearth that narrative in uh, many years when we get there yeah i don't remember much i remember him standing in the ring as a security officer but i don't remember much of the matches so i'll look forward to seeing how that goes as well fair enough fair enough all right so fourth model uh arrogance uh, ad and then Sean Mooney and Bobby Heenan. Yep, and you already kind of covered it. Bobby Heenan says he picked up some flaws in the game of the Ultimate Warrior. I wonder if that flaw was that the Ultimate Warrior sucks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Pretty easy to yeah. see. But, uh, yeah, he says Rude will go through extensive training, and uh, I think we will have to check out some of those vignettes because they, they are pretty interesting. They are compelling. They are very different than most Bobby Heenan stuff. Uh, Rude will come back with the shorter hair. Uh, with yeah. the different look, the different attitude, and uh, we'll see a different side of Rick Rude. And uh, it'll be interesting. You know, he has not been our favorite. I think he's had his moments now and then, but uh, we'll see what he comes up with when we get to that part. Yeah, for what it's worth, they maxed out this promo. Like Bobby Heenan yeah. and Sean Mooney. Bobby Heenan says, Rick Rude and I, and Sean Mooney interrupts him immediately. He says, what does Rick Rude have to do with this? And we're kind of told that he's doing extreme uh, extensive training right now and that he's the only man uh, to defeat the Ultimate Warrior for a championship. So the best they could, they're building a foundation for where they're going. Yeah, for sure. It's very interesting because we're going to have to see what we think of Rick Rude as challenger for Ultimate Warrior. Uh, Rick Rude is a guy that Hogan never wanted to work with because of some issues they had in like their first house show match. They never had another one. Um, so on the one hand, you have Rick Rude, and I think he really puts in a lot of effort because he knows this could be like his only shot to main event in the WWF, which I think is what he really wanted to do if he possibly could. So he is going to put in, I think, a tremendous amount of effort here. We're going to have to see what that yields. Um, but on the other hand, Rick Rude, like, is he a main event guy for Ultimate Warrior? Is he a challenger, like, on that level? If not him, then who? I don't know. But we've talked about Ultimate Warriors half the problem. The WWF, maybe they're half the problem as well. Did they give him a challenger that set him up to succeed? I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I, there, there'll be interesting stuff in this feud to talk about. I'm interested to see where we go from here. Yeah, because the question becomes, if not Rick Rude, like if we say Earthquake because of how they're building him, mm -hmm. so we're going to have a pay-per-view card that ends with Ultimate Warrior wrestling Earthquake. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my God. Whew. All right. Um, no, nobody wants to see that. So I don't okay. know. we'll talk about it as we go. I just want to say, and this is not me critiquing the Ultimate Warrior, so this is just facts, and it's going to be the bow on the show. This is the first prime, prime time 
uh, showing of the Ultimate Warrior, and he will end the show with a promo where Gene looks a mix of terrified and bored. And the final quote from the Ultimate Warrior on his first night as champion in primetime is, no one can poison it. This is a disease that is totally out of control. Yep. <laughs> That's how we end it. I think he also said he was going to swallow all the strings. I didn't hear that, but I'm sure he did. (laughs) I'm sure he did. I don't know what's up with this guy. You know, there are ultimate warriors out there, I feel, who probably feel it, and I don't know if they can explain it. Maybe it's something you just have to have the right kind of felt sense for. But, yeah, this does nothing for me, like less than nothing. If I was a, you know, (laughs) as a wrestling fan, I'm very loyal to a wrestling product unless they kind of betray me, like, to a certain extent, and then I will, like, hate them. So if I'm a fan at this time, I don't know. Maybe this is the thing that drives me away, and now I'm watching WCW or something. So I don't know. Probably I just would have switched over to Ninja Turtles like everyone else. So so there you go. I think there are two two runs of the Warrior. There's the Warrior in his first two runs in WWF, and if you like him, it's the spirit of the warrior, the energy of the warrior, the music of the warrior, the paint of the warrior. And you just get like a it's like a high. It's like a rock concert. It's like a feeling that I think that's what it is. And then in 96, I think it's just weird. You have to like his philosophy if you possibly can, because I think then it's not even about the feeling. It's He's more philosophical and he's trying to put over his brand and his comic and all of that. And then he comes to WCW. So. Ugh. And then there's nothing. And then they give him a microphone, and it dies the first segment out. Uh, I'm getting close to that in my watching, so I'm, I'm very fearful. I'm really waiting for it to turn sour, because I know it's going to. It's really good so far, so I don't know. We'll see. I think Bischoff recently said something, to, you know, because he goes on that long, long, long rant. Yeah. That kills it the first night. But he also says that it's something to the effect that he's already beaten Hulk Hogan, and they were Hogan and Bischoff were both sitting there in the ring, like, say, well, okay, so there's, you just said there's no point for the matchup that we're, that we're trying to build. <laughs> I so. didn't even think about Warrior cutting promos in the ring, because that's not a thing at this time, or really any of the other times of Warrior. I'm just like, how the hell could that have been a good idea? Who could have ever thought that that would work out? Like, this guy can barely do the pre-tapes with Okerlund without just being nonsense and rambling, so holy crap. All right, all right, here we are then. Yeah, that's one thing I don't think Bishop ever takes enough blame it's like, yeah, it was a horrible thing, but who let him do it? Right, yep. Bishop I've never watched a uh, segment. Yeah. Like, when I first saw I tuned in to see Warrior because, like, oh, my God, Warrior's in WCW. And I, you experience, like, it could take you 20 years to experience a change so dramatic from what I think most of us felt from the start of that one promo to the end of it. <laughs> what a weird mindset. To try to get it. Man, Eric Bischoff falls apart in 1998 because he's like sitting on a motorcycle, half shaven, and like challenging yeah. Mr. McMahon to a physical fight. And he's like doing these bad Jay Leno like parody segments that just go on and on and nobody cares. And like, I don't know, that was the year he kind of fell apart. He opened the door for a lot of worse things to follow him. So he definitely deserves some blame there. I don't know what all he said because I don't listen to him, but I would respect him a lot more if he made it clear. We lived in a world where I was never going to be a rock star. I was never going to be looked at that way. And I found myself in a world that if I treated certain people a certain way and behaved a certain way, I was going to have that lifestyle. I got seduced by it. I lost myself, and I ruined a lot of things. Yeah, I personally would not listen to Bitch House comments because I think um, there's a lot of BS in there. You know, 
But, uh, yeah, a lot of people are interested, so more power to you. Um, yeah. Okay, so Miz Fan has hooked us up big time. Whew. Big time. <laughs> WWF has gone to Japan. This is all the worldly stuff, so I'm going to let you jump in and just do whatever you want to do. But we got we got good stuff coming, folks. Oh, yes. I'm very excited about this. I was excited to dig it up. A lot of stuff I had not seen before. Actually, none of these four matches I had seen before, so I was very interested to check them out. Uh, this is April 13, 1990. The WWF All Japan New Japan Wrestling Summit, a three-promotion show taking place over in uh, Tokyo, I believe, in front of an enormous crowd. I think more than 50,000. And yeah, like, the energy of this crowd compared to what happened at WrestleMania, which had even more people, but man, like, you could have told me there were 10 times more people at this show because the energy in these matches is over the top. It's incredible. We're going to see a mix of some of the best wrestlers of the WWF in there with some true, absolute legends of wrestling, guys who shaped wrestling in Japan and really everywhere because a lot of people nowadays, especially, you know, they have huge influence of what happened in Japan. So we are seeing some true fathers of like everything that is in wrestling, both then and now. Um, it's going to be some great stuff. This whole show, there's a lot of good stuff on it that we didn't even cover. There's a big boss man versus Jake Roberts match, which is probably one of the better Jake Roberts matches I've ever seen. So we did not have time to put that on there, but you can check that out on your own time if you are curious. But we do have four matches that we are going to talk about, and I am very excited to get into it. Before we do, I want to ask you share my positive feelings about this crowd, this setting, the energy of this show compared to WrestleMania 6. Man, yeah. Uh, this is kind of the privilege that we have in this world that we sometimes forget with our access to information and entertainment because it's almost like this is stuff you're never supposed to be able to see. So the fans are fresh for it. The wrestlers, I think, are fresh for it because they can behave out of character, you know. Yeah. So you're not supposed to know this happened, and we can bring it into our world and sit it right beside what we've been watching otherwise. And I think the fans pop for everything. The fans are hot the entire time. And you're going to see these wrestlers wrestle out of character, perform out of character. It's just, it's a joy to see whether you're enjoying the routine or not. Mm. It's such a joy to watch them perform the way that they did. Yeah, it absolutely is. I got a lot of joy out of these matches. These matches, probably some of them are some of my favorites we've covered in this series in quite a while. I got to say that. So uh, there's some wonderful stuff here. Let's jump right into it. Uh, first match we're going to cover, and I did put links to these on Twitter and also uh, on the forum, so I hope you can check them out. They come from various sources. Uh, this show is not on the network to my knowledge, um, but uh, it is available part and parcel out there on the Internet, so I hope that you are able to check out some of it. First match we're going to cover is uh, a true all-star Legacy Series favorite team of Mr. Perfect and Rick Martel. That's a hell of a team to have right there. They probably could have taken over the world if they had stayed together. On the other side, as referenced by my uh, wonderful co-host, we have Haku coming out as King Haku, and he is teaming with one of my absolute favorite wrestlers, Jumbo Saruta, a man uh, who stood on top of All Japan and really helped shape a lot of the greatness that would come out of that company in the, in the 90s, um, and a frequent opponent of uh, Ric Flair, of Harley Race, a true top contender on the world scene. So uh, you got a huge amount of talent in this match. Um, I was very excited about this, and I got to say, for me, this one lived up to it. I, I really enjoyed this match. 
Oh, this is so good. I've got to really look at my notes because there are so many good spots in this matchup. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what people are about. It's funny to me, I said last week without knowing this match existed, that if anybody probably blocked the way for Rick Martell, it was Mr. Perfect because mm-hmm. I don't think no two people could fulfill the same role better than those two. And here they are teaming up, which is just special to watch. Yeah, it's a beautiful pairing. It's one that I hadn't thought about until recently, I think, when you made that comment. So to see that be spoken and then sort of materialize here, that was kind of very special as well. And, man, they do a wonderful job, I got to say. Some great stuff in here. Yeah. I think I I like all four guys, just like you said. And so it's a matchup that if you like anyone in the match, you're going to find a spot where you're going to love what they're doing. Oh, absolutely. Everyone doing great. I got to say, at a particular pop for Haku, working babyface, something that he rarely Mm. did, throwing especially Kurt Hennig around. At one point, he just, like, flips up Hennig like he was filled with air or something and hits this crazy shoulder breaker that I swear I never saw him do before. And it looks incredible. Just like both guys worked so hard to make that look so good. I got so much praise for those guys and for everyone in this match. Yeah. Haku's shoulder breaker is amazing because he snaps it off. Like, Mm, yeah. Watch Haku and watch Mr. Perfect. Cause here's two things I saw the way Haku snaps off that shoulder breaker and perfect before that, he will do um, a, a running knee and something else. And he tenses his whole body before he does it. And because you can tell the move he's about to do, he is going to use every bit of the power within the entirety of his body to do it. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. These are fine points, but if you really care, this is the opposite of Saturday night's main event. If you want to believe what you're watching, if you want it to make sense, if you want the detail to be there, oddly enough, this show is going to do it much better than the one we just talked about. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's absolutely true. Um, no, so good. Uh, Jumbo Saruta is a guy that I never mm. thought we would get to talk about in the Legacy Series, so I am thrilled that we got some showing of him here. Uh, he's running around in there. He's so over. Huge pops for what he does. Uh, he hits a running knee that would make Triple H go and just cry in a corner. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Yes. Oh, so good. So good. And I love, like, and, and this is very much within his style. At one point, Martel has, like, Haku in the Boston Crab, and it looks like maybe Haku, you know, he's actually playing face in peril. He does a good job with it. It's weird to see, but he's good at it. And then Jumbo just walks in and just, like, bashes Martel off of him in the hold, and uh, it's just so deliberate, and I, I really enjoy that kind of stuff. It's so good. Absolutely. I have explained over the years why I prefer Lex Luger as a baby face to a heel when nobody else does it. But I grew up, whether it's Luger or Sting or the Steiner brothers, I grew up on baby faces that can explode. They explode out of a corner. They hit running clotheslines. They hit three in succession. And every time, like to see the, the, the knee from Jumbo, to see, like he, nobody else is running except this man. Everybody else has like been wrestling an entire match. And then he just like knees people into the third row and like clears the ring and like knocks people out of the building. And that's, I love that kind of stuff because if you do it right, watch the fan response, watch the energy, you shift the energy, but you don't do it the whole time. Then we have to come back to the normal energy. So we got rise and fall and all of that. And that's kind of what I like as a fan. Absolutely. Um, just a great showing from Jumbo. If not for the man in the main event that I referenced uh, earlier, this would be my favorite guest appearance we have on this show. But man, just like the level of talent 
that these guys were able to bring in and make fresh here. Very, very impressive stuff. Yeah, I got about three or four. It's hard for me to say because there's some good stuff. Oh, there's wonderful um, stuff. Yeah. This is these are the kind of questions you ask when when you watch a really brilliant match and really brilliant wrestlers. Because I forget a lot of things that I knew as a kid because I don't watch wrestling that closely anymore unless I'm doing the show. I know you can call a chop a knife edge chop, but is there a difference between a chop, let's say a Ric Flair chop, and a knife edge chop? Yes, but I couldn't put my finger on it in the moment. Like, there are different kinds of chops, and, like, probably if you think of a chop, you're probably thinking of a knife edge chop. Like, that's kind of, like, the standard one, and there are different kinds of chops, but that that's probably what you're thinking of there. Okay, because all I know is, like, I'm wondering if, like, an open hand hitting the chest might be a chop, but knife edge is that side of your hand slicing through the chest. I think but there's an element of that, yeah. All I know is, I don't know who did the chop, because apparently I didn't know that. Maybe it's perfect, maybe it's someone else, but it was so specific in how it was done that I was like, that's a knife edge chop, you know? <laughs> that sounds like, like Hennig. He was good yeah. with those, yeah. Everything that they did in the match, like, it's like I saw a drop kick for the first time. I saw a chop for the first time. I saw a running knee for the first time. It is beautiful and brilliant and amazing to behold these professional experts at their craft. Man, this is this was like Bizarro World in a few ways because I almost feel like you got a glimpse of, like, hey, what if the WWF in this era in the ring was a lot more like the NWA or like, what if they just had a totally different style? Cause a mm. lot of people, and this will be super shocking. Like I'll just say Hulk Hogan, like his performance in this main event with Stan Hansen is going to shock me. It's going to tell me yeah. something totally different about Hulk Hogan than what I thought before. Um, and with all these guys, really, it's like, man, they, you, there could have been like an entirely different WWF at this time with just all the same guys just doing something different and it would have been at least as good, maybe better. So it really tells you something, I think. Yeah. It's hard to watch in that way because I think anything I've ever wanted in wrestling would make it less commercially successful, but it would make <laughs> me a lot happier. Sure. And I think this this is another version of it uh, where just let these guys wrestle and you find out, like, they're as good as anybody in the NWA. They can do the things that the NWA can do, but it's just they're not called to do that in the sports entertainment model, you know, the WWF. I'd like to think there's a happy medium that maybe could have uh, had the same success, if not more, because they're really going to fall off this year, yep. as we've talked about. So you can't at least tell me it wasn't worth trying, but, you know, they're really not going to go that way. So That's a good point. Um, I'm just going to keep on a little bit more, just marking out for every kind of wrestling hold that I usually would pass over. because <laughs> Dude, they, yes, it's so good. Yeah, perfect model cleared the ring in the beginning, and they have to do a doubled standing drop kick to get Haku out of the ring. Then about six minutes uh, into the match, Haku returns the favor with a standing dropkick and knocks him out of the ring. Mm -hmm. And then Mr. Perfect throws someone off the rope and does a standing dropkick where he jumps too soon. And he just has his hang time for like, it might be 0.3 seconds, but it feels like a minute where he's just hanging there and then he waits for the person to get there. Then he changes the shape of his body and performs the physical part of the dropkick when they get there. God, isn't he a marvel? Like, I, I know just what you're talking about, and mm. it is beautiful to watch. Like, this is one to check out. Absolutely. All four of these matches, really, but ooh, there's just so much good stuff in here. You know, if you're pressed for time, just skip Saturday night's main event and watch these bonus yes. matches, because you will have a lot more fun, I think. And it complements your fandom. Like, this is not something you're going to see every day. This was a pleasure 
in a way that even our talking about it is not going to like I'm going to carry some of these memories like into my life beyond this because it, it is so far outside of what I've known and seen. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, like I said, I didn't watch these either. So, yeah, they, I got some very nice uh, revelations to myself. And I'll say before, like when we talk about the main event, it kind of blew my mind up a little bit. So, yeah, <laughs> there's some there's some incredible stuff. Uh, in this show, I have nothing but praise for this. You know, there is an Ultimate Warrior versus Ted DiBiase match on this card, which obviously I did not pitch because I will not watch more Ultimate Warrior matches than I have to. But now I'm almost curious, like, what does that look like in the context of this show? I don't know. I don't think I'm brave enough to find out, but now I'm at least curious. So yeah, the man meant to be Big Van Vader might be different in Japan. <laughs> it's nah. I have a real hard time believing Warrior would be different anywhere. I feel like yeah. I'd watch it and it would just be like bog standard shit. They didn't put him in there with anyone from Japan because I don't think he could handle it. So I'm not going to try it. But if someone out there knows differently, you know, get, send me a flag and I, maybe I'll check it out and see for myself. Yeah. I will also say I was not as surprised by the main event because my older brother, massive Hulk Hogan fan, and when we first got internet, like – it shocked our world because, like, I don't know if that's 97. I don't know what year it is, but, like, the only people that got praised on the Internet, like, Chris Benoit is the greatest of all time. Eddie Guerrero is the greatest of all time. You know, Luger's trash. Hogan's trash. You know, so we had never heard that narrative before. And my older brother used to always say, you know, Hulk Hogan can actually wrestle. He just doesn't do it because of the WWF. But if you watched him in Japan, and for the longest time, I thought, okay, okay, pal, you know, cool. Good story. But, like, we'll talk about it when we get to the main event, I guess. I have some more comments on that, but yeah, let's let's wait on that. Um, anything else you want to say before, on this match before we we go over the finish? I like the mat. It kind of looks like a swimming pool or something, or some kind of odd like the, place. The blue or uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's a nice mat for sure. There's something about Japanese wrestling, and um, you know, at times it can be overpraised. There's kind of like a cult around it. At right. times, you know, maybe it's uh, not the be all end all, but there is a certain appeal to it, like the physicality, the presentation, the aesthetic, the way they treat it, the way the crowd reacts. There is something very compelling about it, so I really do enjoy checking it out at least from time to time, if not more so. So there's some good stuff over there, of course. Yeah, and I think there's uh, why it deserves praise in this context even more is because nobody could fully be what they were because there was moments we'll get to this in a minute when Randy Savage is first out there and he looked to me he looks like a character that's cut and paste it does not fit in that world and I'm thinking to myself like this is not gonna work no matter how hard you try so I think everybody had to give a little just to make this whole thing look like it can exist in the same uh, ring together. Yeah, absolutely. This is um, some Who Framed Roger Rabbit territory at times, <laughs> yeah. where the cartoons are up there with the real people. So. Yes. <laughs> so it's beautiful. The mo model goes for a hard, straight splash that gets nothing but knees. That looked like a painful yeah. uh, moment. Then that kind of turns us to the end of the match, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, probably every one of these guys worked in Japan uh, before. I know definitely Rick Martel made mm -hmm. trips over there. He, he wrestled, um, you know, Ric Flair. Famously in Japan once in a wonderful match in the early 80s. Um, so all these guys, I think, understood what they had to do to kind of, you know, impress this crowd. And they really did it. So I, I got to say, just some great stuff in this tag match. Yeah, and it's also good to see, because, you know, a lot of times when you go to Japan, just like when Japan, wrestlers from Japan come to the United States, you go from being like the top star to a guy who loses to people's finishers. And <laughs> there's something satisfying about watching the great mighty arrogant wwf 
uh, kind of have to bend a little bit in this. <laughs> That's true, because yeah, in a lot of these matches, it's the um, you know the, uh, the 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 Japanese talent that go over, um, which shouldn't shock anybody. Jumbo, yeah, he gets the pin here on Martel as Haku just sends Hennig flying like a frisbee mm. over the top rope, which was beautiful. Um, so yeah, we we get a victory. For uh, for the legendary Jumbo Saruta, who I really can't say enough good things about. Yeah, this is to me. I'm not gonna say watch one match. I'm, I'm gonna say what Miz fans said. If you have to skip anything, skip Saturday Night's main event because I can give you a reason. Maybe Savage Match. Maybe my mind will be changed. Maybe that's the weakest one to me. But uh, there are three matches at least for me that I could not tell you to watch one over the other. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, there's some uh, there's some incredibly interesting stuff here. So let's talk about that Savage match. We have it coming up next. Randy Savage, one-on-one, taking on uh, Genichiro Tenryu, who uh, also is a very legendary name. He's a huge star in All Japan at this time, but he will break off on his own. He will experiment with different promotions. He will have unique partnerships with the WWF. He will even appear at WrestleMania in the near future, I believe. Mm. So uh, interesting guy. Uh, very legendary talent in his own right. Um, so, yeah, you have uh, not two but three legends because, yes, Queen Sherry made it to Japan as well. And, uh, oh, man, I, I really enjoyed this. I don't know if I could agree it was the weakest. The competition is very high. Yeah. So uh, there's some great stuff in this one as well. I was already almost changing my mind as we go. And the, the third one, that <laughs> Match-wise, it's definitely going to be the weakest, but there's just a couple of images. I cannot have oh, people not look at There's a special it. appeal to that one that goes beyond what they do in the ring, so I totally get it. This one takes a moment for me, and then it gets there, but Savage is very much playing up the character. Like, this is King Randy Savage, and the, the, the difference of temperaments before they even, like, lock up is so evident, and, <laughs> you know, they ain't going for it. And we'll talk about the match, but I think the highlight of this is I feel like Sherry comes near to causing a riot in this match. Oh yes. Like she is in her element to the extreme. I know what you mean. Like in the very beginning of the match, this is probably where it was most striking. It was like, are these people even in the same universe? But I really think they got there as they went. And I think Sherry was a big part of bridging that gap. Cause this gets really good. And I think what Sherry did, she took the over the top gimmick, but she was so brutal on the outside that she brought that home saying, you know, uh, don't think that just because I'm a character floating about that we can't bring real consequence in the action as well. Oh, absolutely. And in true cherry form also, she's ready to throw down with Tenryu, I think, yeah. at any second, which only gets the crowd like even more uh, fired up about all that. So, man, yeah. the crowd, like they're really ready for this one. And I can't blame them for that. You got that kind of platform outside the ring, then that drop off with all the suits and ties down there. And Sherry is down there trying to mix it up when I think he falls into that group. And there's like 10 suits and ties, like standing up, trying to be like forceful, telling her not to come in, but also looking like fearful that she's going to come into where they are anyway. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Like uh, we will see some people at ringside be casualties before the night is out. But I thought Sherry was going to start that right here. She could have taken out, I think about half the people there before they took her down. So Ooh, oh man, this is not like Savage. In the beginning, it's Savage styling a lot uh, in kind of like yeah. Savage fashion. And when Tenryu catches him, and he just gets him in the corner, he starts chopping him, and he chops him into the ground, and yes. the ovation is just thunderous. I think that's the point where, like, at the first few minutes, we're a little slow. When it hit that point, I don't know. I was really starting to get into it there. 
I agree. That's my first matchup. No, I, a million chops. I just put because I was not going to try to count them. <laughs> it might as well be a million for sure. Oh my gosh. Ooh, and I love this too because there's a lot. Tenryu, I think he actually invented the enziguri, and he hits it a few times in this match. And the way Savage sells it is so great. It's he he wobbles around the ring every time he gets hit in the head, and it's this beautiful thing. And I I gotta give credit to both guys for making something really beautiful out of that moment. Absolutely. I think he wants to keep Savage within an arm's length is the story of the match, and Savage yeah. wants to get loose and just run around. Yeah, yeah, I got that vibe as well. I think that's a great way to look at the way the story was told in this match. This one, um, also, if you want to talk about fan response, the fans are hot in this match. Oh, so. yeah, they are nuts. They are nuts for this one. This is where I was really feeling like, man, just based on the crowd reaction, this is more WrestleMania than WrestleMania right here. Yeah, the crowd reacts to every strike. It would be cool, too, because like we're going to see these moments where you know, we're going to get SummerSlam, uh, yeah, just because the British Bulldog can sell it out, you know, or we're going to go to Canada because the U.S. is not working. I don't know why we never get uh, a WrestleMania like this in Japan. That would be something. That would be super cool. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's a very good question. So, they they never like their partnerships, and you kind of have to partner with somebody to go over there. Yeah. You get Like in the U.K., you can just walk in and be like, yeah, <laughs> you know, we already are in charge here, or Canada. In Japan, like, it's pretty locked down. You would need to make friends, and Vince was not good at that. That's a great point, and that might be it altogether. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, yeah, some great stuff in here. Uh, Sherry actually does whack Tenryu at one point, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I thought the roof might come down from that. There's just a ton of stuff going on in this match. Absolutely. I, like I said, I think it was close to a riot. The fans are just into it. Um and Savage, I think you know Savage is not going to win this matchup. Um, I don't think it comes as a shocker, but right. you just don't know how it's going to happen. It's kind of the wait and see. Uh, yes, and in the end, I believe Tenryu folds up Savage yes. with a very nice powerbomb uh, to get that victory to a great crowd reaction as well. well. Savage again showing, like, this is the guy that won the WrestleMania 4 tournament yeah. uh, as a babyface, was the world champion in a time when nobody else was. But he's proving he can play every level of heel, every style, every necessity that he's called upon to play. He is, and he's great at it. And my only complaint I can say here, and this is not even about this show, because this show I think was what it needed to be. It's more about like the surrounding shows back in America. Uh, Macho King, as great as the aesthetic is, as great as Savage is, is he kind of a jobber? Like, I feel like he's been losing a lot. So, uh, yes. you know, he's not really presented as strongly as you might think. Absolutely. I don't like that, and um, I wouldn't book him like that, but I think uh, the praise I will give him is he goes out there and does that the same way he did WrestleMania 4. Like, you can tell, like, this has been, like, there's been several shows that in U.S. and Japan, you could say some of this might be beneath his level, mm. but he doesn't go out there and act like it is. Yeah, absolutely, and I probably did even better than WrestleMania 4, actually, because uh, that was a weirdly subdued night for Randy yeah. Savage. Um, here he's almost more in his element than he was then, because I think uh, there's less pressure. He can just be Savage. He can be kind of everywhere at once and do his thing, and uh, I will never object to Randy Savage doing his thing. Agreed. Agreed. Good stuff. All right, one more match before the main event, and this is a match I can tell this had a, a big impact on you, and I can definitely tell why. I have some similar feelings, perhaps. Uh, Demolition is here, and they are taking on 
a guy that I thought we were actually done talking about in terms of in-ring action, but here he is with one more special encore match, Andre the Giant, and he is teaming up with the legendary Giant Baba, the father of All Japan Pro Wrestling, one of the two guys that took uh, wrestling in Japan and made it kind of what it would become. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the, the, the team of giants taking on demolition mm. here, I'm going to let you speak on some of the images that we will see in this match. Mm. Yeah. So instead of the ring, kind of like Madison square garden, we got them in the back. They're about to do an interview and I haven't seen giant Baba since I uh, forever. And Andre and giant Baba are standing back there together. And I don't know what, but it's just an iconic classic image. Like they're about the same height. Andre's a little bit taller. Giant Baba has a charming smile. Andre's charming. Mm. And it just, you know, you look at this image and you say, like, how blessed am I as a human being? Like, I'm not supposed to see this. I'm not supposed to know this happened, but <laughs> I am watching something. Like, they don't have to do anything beyond just stand there. And I feel like I witnessed something as a wrestling fan. Yeah, no, absolutely. It feels like it is something you're glimpsing from a different world, you know, a different reality or something. But uh, it's it's a wonderful image. It's great stuff. I got a lot of respect for Giant Baba. And, yes, he looks great standing next to him. I will say, if you watch this match, I'll warn you, he has weirdly small arms that might <laughs> weird you out. They always weird me out. Um, so, yes, here he is kind of past his prime with the small arms looking strange and yet still a legend, <laughs> still with that presence. And it's an iconic image. So I will give praise to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. And there's three images to pay attention to if you want to know why this is special just to watch it. Number one is Andre and Baba standing together. Number two was me, like the charm of Baba. I already knew about Andre. But then number three, when Andre walks to the ring, it looks almost impossible for him to do the simple thing of walking. Mm. And so you realize if you're not going to take advantage of this and enjoy this, then there's going to be nothing left. So sit down and just enjoy what's in front of you for the opportunity to see it. Yeah. I don't know how he wrestled for another couple years, uh, doing mm. multi like tags in Japan. Um, Cause he sure, I mean, he doesn't even do badly in this match. Like, it's very simple, of course. Yeah. But, uh, again, he doesn't do badly. And yet you can tell that, you know, th it's very taxing for him to even do as much as he does. So, I don't know. It's crazy that he wrestled up to, like, almost a month before his death, I think. So, I don't know. Yeah, he loved wrestling. Um, I'm trying to remember right. I have heard, I don't know if this is true, because I won't swear to it, I didn't have a chance to look it up or anything, but I heard he could have done something like medically that would have maybe prolonged his life, but it would have stopped him from wrestling, and he decided not to do it. So, like, here's a guy who truly loved wrestling. Um, honestly, I would have traded, like, maybe his last few years for something like that, but, you know, he made a choice, and uh, he kind of went out doing what he loved, so you got you to gotta show some respect for that, definitely. Yeah, I feel like... A little bit I know about Andre. He knew who he was and what he liked and what he wanted. Mm. You know, I think they said Big Show had something done. Yes, he had surgery, I think, on uh, like his one of his glands or something. Else he probably, like Andre, would have just kept kind of growing and, um, you know, would have shortened his life. So he, he made another choice. But uh, it had kind of progressed to the point where he could keep wrestling, obviously, since he has. Uh, I don't know if Andre had that same option, though. Yeah, just sometimes the difference in time and era. Again, I'm not trying to be dramatic here, but 
if you listen to this show, you know what we think about Andre the Giant. And yeah. this is not something that I ever knew existed, so I had no idea I was going to get to see this. And it's not it's going to be the least uh, great match, match-wise, but I would never tell you not to watch it because if you don't understand why you ought to watch it otherwise, then you're probably not a fan of this show anyway. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, it's definitely worth watching beyond just the kind of the physicality of it, although there is some good stuff as well. Andre, when he gets a chance, he does a bit of mauling. Uh, Demolition very much working heel here early on. Smash kind of like bounces over into the corner where Andre is. Andre just roars at him and kind of like swats him away. And just like he didn't even need to do the swat, I think. Just the way he roared probably did enough damage to Smash that he could have called it good. Oh, yeah. I think I think he knocked him. Not didn't knock him down. I think the first he knocked him loopy with just a roar. Yeah, absolutely. He, he does credibly knock him credibly. out with that roar. Yeah. I, I, my girlfriend and I are reading uh, the Chronicles of Narnia out loud, so oh, she had never read them before. And Aslan, like Aslan, will do that as well. And Andre the Giant, like that's the only person I think in the history of wrestling that could be like a, a an Aslan character. Like he growls and smashes knocked loopy, and that is a beautiful. Like I. There's so many ways that could be an offensive spot for me with my fandom, and it is not in any way. Absolutely. And, yes, I can so see Andre um, lumbering around the, the hills of Narnia. That's a beautiful yes. image. So. <laughs> that is true, too, because, like, the whole – the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is built around joy. It's built around Jupiter, which is known for joy. And Andre the Giant is a joy and celebration guy. That's why, again, we need to praise him even more for his feud with Hulk Hogan because I think – being the heel against Hulk Hogan is secondary to who he is and who he's able to be. Like, I think he really is just a, like, drinking and laughing and having a good time natural character. And so I think he was almost almost like if you're right-handed using his left hand there and still dominating the history of professional wrestling. Absolutely. I just posted in the, the forums a day or two ago about how uh, he was so – proud of his work in the princess bride that he would invite all his friends over repeatedly to watch it. And he would, uh, you know, nicely ask them like how his performance was and just, uh, <laughs> what a, what a, what a wonderful person he seems to be. So yeah. it, there's good stuff there. I will tell you this too. Uh, I, uh, some folks know, like I went through like really, really difficult six weeks, like maybe the worst in my life. And I had to be in a hotel for a week and I've never seen that movie. And the first night that I was there, I was so distraught. Like the world didn't make sense to me anymore. My life didn't make sense to me anymore. Like I was out of it. I couldn't have a conversation. Like when I tried to talk to people, I couldn't hear what they were saying, even if I tried to listen. And I turned on the TV that night and that movie was on. And the only time I laughed and felt something during that particular part of that was when that movie was on and Andre the Giant was on the screen. Mm. That's it was, yeah, it was just beautiful in just the most basic and innocent way. Like it's a man who knows what his appeal is and he knows how to use it. And I, I cannot, maybe it's because we're coming to the end of Andre the Giant, but I cannot say enough about Andre the Giant. Uh, it's great stuff. Just to have kind of a beautiful person who, who creates a lot of happiness for others. It's great to see. Um, I'm surprised I didn't comment on it before now, but, uh, of course, at the time of this recording, uh, Brody Lee passed away mm. recently, uh, very unexpectedly, and that uh, hit me pretty hard, um, but it's been very heartwarming for him to see 
how many people just uh, like a, an overwhelming outpour of people talking about what a good person he was and how he was fun and a great father and just man you don't see many people in wrestling who you can tell good stories like that about very few so i just want to make that connection for a moment and uh, do a little tribute to Brody lee who was truly a great man just like andre and um and had um a profound effect on people in a very positive way. And just like you were saying, just a person who naturally is like in that happy celebration mode in their life and their career and their relationships. And that that's really a wonderful thing. Yeah. I have loved seeing the boundary crossing. Like it doesn't matter what yeah. company you work for. It doesn't like if you knew him and felt a type of way, like there are WWF people, WWE people speaking out about how beautiful the AEW episode was, Yeah, you know, so we're seeing the best, and that is something – I don't know how you do that. You don't live your life to do that. You just live your life in a positive, genuine way. But when your passing can cause people to behave out of character in the world we live in, that's almost a supernatural act in itself. Yeah, that's a true testament to the character, um, yeah. the, the, the true character, the true life character of that man. So that, that's just really something. I had to speak on that for a moment and – yeah, I almost texted you and said, let's watch Dog Collar Match or some match, but I knew that, you know, it was busy as we are. We might not, you know, get right. it done. So, Well, anytime. I'll, I'll watch Brody Lee till the cows come home, no doubt. So Okay, so maybe, maybe we'll in the future. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good. I I will also say I have one of my favorite notes I've ever, so to those that with ears to hear, let them hear. This is a WCW, the Legacy Series, WWF crossover, but there is a, a move by – Baba in this matchup, and my note is swinging neck breaker by beautiful Bobby Baba. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, man. Put, put me in mind of another beautiful person, Bobby Eaton, of course. Yeah. Um, huh, it's, it's like kind of a wash and a good feeling right now, all this good stuff we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, we needed this. Like, I, You don't know what you need sometimes until you talk yourself into it. Yeah. <laughs> But man, watch watch all of this. Like this is, this is again. I think one of the things in our life, like we live in an information age, and we just got everything on repeat. I, I, when do you, when are you surprised in your life? When do you see something you don't usually see, feel something you don't usually feel? Because we've seen it all. Like we've seen too much almost at times. Yeah. And this is something I did not know existed. You found it. You brought it to us, and just a little bit of surprise, a little bit of oh, I didn't know that happened. A little bit of. It can make a difference in your day, you know, if it's, if it works. Yeah, really can. Whew. Um, so, Andre does get the win in this match uh, with the elbow drop. He proves, of course, WrestleMania was a fluke and that, uh, you know, he's he can beat Demolition at the end of the day. So we get a nice little punctuation mark on the in-ring career of Andre in the WWF. <laughs> Absolutely. A fall down elbow, and then I think he rolls off at the two count, but who cares? It's Andre the Giant. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I didn't even notice, so uh, if that did happen, then yeah, just the aura of Andre stayed on for that three, and that was enough. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That roar. The roar was still upon the demolition. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, beautiful stuff. All right, we got to talk about this main event. Stan Hansen versus Hulk Hogan. And if I've never talked about Stan Hansen in your uh, experience with this series, let me just say I believe one of the absolute 
unquestioned greats of all time, a guy I did not expect to get to talk about again outside of his uh, tobacco-spitting WCW persona that roughhoused so much with Vader that Jim Ross nearly panicked and ran from commentary, and Dusty Rose nearly jumped in and fought with him so many years back in the day. Actually, not even that far, I think, from this match, probably uh, yet less than a year distant from that, which is strange to think of. But man, I was hyped for this. The crowd was hyped for this. And I'll say, I praised Hulk Hogan for his in-ring action. I've seen him wrestle Nick Bockwinkel, Paul Orndorff, Andre the Giant, many guys who have gotten good matches with Hulk Hogan. And yet, I felt that I had never seen a great Hulk Hogan singles match. And now I really feel like I have actually seen a great Hulk Hogan singles match. This kind of blew my mind. This was amazing. If you only have time to watch one thing from the show, this is the thing that I would watch because this this was something special to me. Absolutely. That is very high praise. and It has to be deserved because I was thinking about Stan Hansen and what he brings to a match. Like, If you are not someone who likes to wrestle with Stan Hansen, it cannot be your favorite day of the week to have to wrestle Stan Hansen. And yet... He makes people better. Like, I cannot remember for the life of me if it's um, Disco Inferno and Conan on uh, Keeping It 100 or if it was the dude that is with Jim Cornette on his show. But someone wrote in to talk about kind of how Lex Luger was so terrible in the ring and he was overrated and this, that, and the other. And one of the things they said is, like, in the 80s, look at his match with Stan Hansen. Like, do you think Lex Luger wanted to wrestle that kind of match? But he went out there and he did it and, you know... So those are great matches, too. Yeah. And so this is something like the respect that these people have to have for Stan Hansen, the ability of Stan Hansen to bring out something in Hulk Hogan and Lex Luger that they don't have to do and that they otherwise do not do. Like you can praise this matchup a million ways. And I think Hulk Hogan needs a lot of praise for it because he mm-hmm. became famous for something else. But the the flashpoint, the thing that cuts across the, all of it also has to be Stan Hansen. Yeah. I mean, at this point in Hulk Hogan's career, how easy would it for would it have been for him to just be like, I don't want to wrestle Hanson, give me someone else, you know, we'll do a lazy match. Jesus, man, he went out here and he'll be a bloody mess and he will be working his ass off. He'll be working in a completely different way than he normally does. And I've heard, oh, Hogan in Japan, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of true. It's kind of not. I've seen the Muda match. Like, it's very good. Uh, it's not amazing. It's not this good. Um, so I don't know, to me, this was even beyond that. Like this was Hogan, uh, just doing something. And this is rare for Hogan, especially by this time, doing something he really didn't need to do and really just putting his whole, whole effort into it. You know, there's no possible sense that this is being half-assed like a lot of Hogan stuff is in this era. So I I was shocked on multiple levels by what I saw here. Part of what I wrote down is, the crime of hulking up is not simply that in some matches he no longer can feel pain and then he finishes the match. The crime of hulking up and what it embodies beyond that moment is that the very best Hulk Hogan is a vulnerable Hulk Hogan. Like The vulnerable Hulk Hogan is as good as anybody in the business, and they have a picture of him in the back. And at the beginning, he has like a serious look on his face. And I'm like, oh, my God, Hulk Hogan looks serious. And then later we see him again. He's got kind of a smirk on his face because that's kind of like – the BS rhetoric that comes on top of it. But when I saw the serious look, I kind of knew what kind of matchup I was going to get because if you want good Hulk Hogan, 
let Hulk Hogan take seriously the thing that he is in. Oh, yes, that's a great way to put it. This does feel very serious. And I'll just say this right now. I pitched back at, like, SummerSlam 89 or whatever. You know, we, we've, had, we've talked about Hogan versus Dusty, how great that could have been. But, man, if you slot Stan Hansen, who was also in No Holds Barred, into the same slot that Zeus had, you can have this match at WrestleMania 6, and I don't care. I think it does as well or better than it did uh, with with The Ultimate Warrior, and certainly you have more to hang your hat on after the fact. And also you can kick Bruce Beefcake out of SummerSlam and have Hulk Hogan and Dusty <laughs> Rhodes versus Teddy DiBiase and Stan Hansen, Holy and I would almost crap. rather see that in WrestleMania because, oh my, my God. gosh, that would be big. <laughs> that sounds incredible that is a wonderful thought that you just had i oh this is why we do this series so we can have these conversations that nobody else would be brave enough to have with us probably some people would but man just like huh that's something special tapping into that that's that's really something there yeah, and what's so beautiful, though, these are short reaches. These are not long reaches because you yeah. make the brilliant point that he's in the movie. So, boom, that's how Zeus got there. You know, Dusty Rose is in the WWF. So these are actually short reaches to make this happen. Like, a lot of times we go around the world to try to get something that we want to see. But this is short reaches, and you could have had this. Uh, you know what vibe I really got from this match? I was very much put in mind of Vader hammering the bleach out of Sting's hair mm-hmm. here, and that, that wonderful memory we have from WCW, the Legacy Series. It's not it's not exact, it's not one-to-one, but I got some of that feeling. You got a big, incredible, stiff worker who pushes guys to do more, and uh, you have a guy who will try to no-sell everything in both Hogan and Sting. They both kind of had similar, like they were just going to get beat up a while, then they get fired up. How much more does that fired up moment mean when you really earned it, when the guy actually really put a beating on you, put you through the ringer, and you could still get up and come back? That's what makes it work, and that's why it doesn't work in a lot of these Hogan and Sting matches, because they never get beaten up enough to even make it matter when they come back. It's just a matter of course, but when you have Vader or you have Stan Hansen beating the living hell out of you when you're bleeding, when you really... When it comes crashing down and it hurts inside, that's when you actually have to hulk up or or, or fire up or do something. Oh, my God. When you make it mean something, oh, that's everything, man. That's that's wrestling. That's how it works. Whew. That's... Whew. You got to talk now. (laughs) You have just solved the Hulk Hogan equation uh, that we have walked around for years now. And it, it, this, the equation is simply this. If it does not come crashing down, it cannot hurt inside. Mm. There's nothing worse than watching him pretend like it hurts inside when nothing came crashing down. Uh. <laughs> uh, I'm and, now. <laughs> now, your frame, though, is perfect. Your frame of Sting Invader is perfect as far as just to give people an idea. Watch when Stan Hansen's only like bent down on the outside apron and watch how many times Hulk Hogan has to kick him in the head and the way he has to kick him in the head just to get Stan Hansen to surrender the apron onto the floor. Mm, Yes. Yes. And look, it's not, it's not Hogan who even bleeds first here. Hogan like throws Hansen down into like a bunch of ringside stuff. He's bleeding first. Hogan is punching the cut. Like Hogan comes here 
to fight. Yes. Like, he is not messing around. He knows what this is. Like you said, he was serious from the get-go. He shows me a Hulk Hogan. Maybe you're right. Maybe everyone's right. Maybe Hogan working this style wouldn't have gotten over the same way. But holy crap, a little of this could go such a long way in America. You know, he, he will do nothing like this in any of the stuff that I can think of in the near future. But this is wonderful. Yeah, I, I would take this any day. I said Hanson is a test for wrestlers, mm. and Hogan passes this test. Oh, my God. Yeah, for sure. He, <laughs> I lost my mind. They're, like, fighting out into the crowd or into, like, the commentary area. There's kind of, like, a, an extra area for commentary between the crowd and the ring. And Hogan, like, he fights him out there. He just picks him up and chucks him through a table, yes. and Hanson is just lying there in, like, a pool of his blood, and it's nuts, and he comes back anyway, of course, because he's Stan Hanson, he's incredible, but, like, this is what I mean when I say this blew my mind, like, this elevated my idea of what a Hulk Hogan singles match could be, and I have watched and praised a lot of Hulk Hogan singles matches, but this is something different. Yeah, there's a moment where I wrote down, if Hogan bleeds, that's all that I wrote, because I got this feeling based on what they brought in the match, based on that look on Hogan's face. And I said, this, like, Hanson's bleeding. I said, Hulk Hogan's going to bleed. And the next line was Hulk Hogan bleeding. And I wrote, Hulk Hogan knows genres. He has a great (laughs) instinct, and he knows when to play what role. And I think that is the best of Hogan. That's why he is going to remake wrestling as a heel Hollywood Hulk Hogan, is because when he is serious, he knows exactly what genre he's in. He knows what it calls for. He knows what it should feel like. He knows when to do what, how to do what, what level to do. It. And when he came up bleeding, uh, we've talked about this on this show. The greatest thing that wrestlers can do for fans is to show that we can trust them, that I can stop analyzing. I can sit back because I am in the hands of professionals who know exactly what to do. And I can just quiet my brain and enjoy it because they'll take me where I need to go. Man, that's that's really some. I have so many Hulk Hogan thoughts now. I gotta I gotta say something which is a little contrary to the way I've thought of Hogan before. I don't know if it's true or not, but I almost wonder now if Hulk Hogan, what does his career look like if people ask for more from him in his later years? Because clearly this is a guy who's capable of delivering. And I think for as smart as he is, as savvy as he is, like he kind of knows, just like you said, he kind of knows instinctively what role he should play. But he's getting to a point in his career where I think people will no longer ask things of him specifically. Mm -hmm. They will just let him do what he wants to do. And what he wants to do turns out to often be very lazy. But when you go to him and you ask him, hey, can you wrestle a bloody match with Stan Hansen? Or, hey, can you turn heel? Can you do something different than what you want to do? These are the moments when Hogan will, like, rise up again and show why he's so great. So, I don't know. He gets so famous, so popular, he redefines the business. And people rarely ask him to do what he doesn't want to do. And yet, I wonder if that was a big difference maker in some of the great Hogan performances that we're going to see. And they're few and far between. But when they come, they're still very impressive. That's a good point. Because, like, if if I'm Hulk Hogan and I can make the same amount of money to wrestle my buddy Butcher at Starcade, or I can wrestle this kind of match with Stan Hansen, I'm not going to go out of my way to pick the Stan Hansen match. Right, of course. (laughs) So somebody has to be there to, I think, make that charge. And, you know, I think it's also when his back is against the wall because, like, 
Yeah. You know, you'll see in WCW, the fans are done with him. If he doesn't do something, he's not even going to be the draw to be able to get what he wants. And so like that heel turn is dangerous and risky, but it's also risky not to. So, right. you know, I do think either it's got to be a Bischoff or a McMahon or it's got to be circumstances or something has to put his back against the wall. And that's what I'm saying about like Warrior should have followed in the footsteps of Hogan. He should have learned something from Hogan or the business or it would have took, taken a heart. But Hulk Hogan, for better and worse, would never on the day he goes over and becomes world champion, practically surrender the ring and be himself like a fan watching his opponent leave. Right. Like Hulk Hogan knows better than that. And so you got to make him know that he has to do better, like you said, and then he will do better, but less than that, and you're going to get less than that. Yeah. Whew. This is a crazy match. Watch this match. Watch watch Stan Hansen clobber Hogan with a chair and then hurl the chair into, like, the people at ringside and yeah. just be a lunatic. Watch these guys just go to war. This is This is something special, for sure. Stan Hansen raises up at the fans and like four rows fall backward. Hansen's <laughs> <laughs> one of those guys. You can see old clips where, you know, he will stalk or fight through a crowd and you will just see crowds of people literally running away just because why would you take the chance, especially in yeah. this area wow. where, you oh. know, nothing is really guaranteed. And these people are really out of control at times. So there's there's something super special about this. Sure. Yeah, uh, Bill Burr does a uh, a funny um, routine of when um, Ron Artest way back in the day and a bunch of basketball players went in the crowd and beat up the fans <laughs> and like this one guy's watching, kind of explaining like I I have the water in my cup, so I definitely didn't pour it on you. And then just he, he just starts hitting him, and he's like, when something like that breaks out, you don't stand there like you're watching a movie and and just watch it unfold. <laughs> And th- those fans knew better than the fans uh, that were on the receiving end with Ron Artest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you, you can't be complacent because uh, guess what? Hanson really throws that chair, so you yeah. can't just yes. be like, oh, nothing can happen to me. Like, it mm. could happen. You know, you have to deal with that reality. So, oh, man, it's crazy stuff. I also think the ending is a great compliment because Hulk Hogan's going to miss his leg drop, so he's not going to win like that. He's going to do a nice running crossbody. He's not going to win like that. And he hits a clothesline that he falls down with Hanson onto Hanson and quickly gets the three before Hanson kicks out. So it's kind of like the Warrior did with Hogan. and He barely got by his opponent in the matchup. It looks a lot better here than it did there, you know, yeah. that's for sure. Um, yeah, credit to that ending. Hogan busting out the Axe Bomber, which was his previous finisher. He used a lot mm. in Japan, which is a cool name. And it's a good move. That's a very good clothesline, you know. Yes. So, um, yeah, credit to that. Credit to all of this. Like, this this was just a pure pleasure. It was. Uh, this I don't know what it feels like. I don't, you know, because I've enjoyed WWF The Legacy Series for reasons I did not enjoy WCW The Legacy Series. It's been its own thing. But this felt like something else. Like, this is not WWF. I don't know if it's simply um, the Japanese influence. I think it's just some combination and some blur and some and some just something. It's something that doesn't happen easily. And when it does, man, it's something special. Yeah. It's a combination of a lot of things, I think. It's a, certainly the WWF having just an in, 
incredibly great roster and yeah. yet uh, maybe being too complacent with it and actually going to a place where they couldn't be complacent. They had to be different. They had to, um, you know, kind of rise to the occasion. It's the influx of these just all-time legendary guys mm. into these matches, into unique matches that you will never see before or again. Uh, it's a combination of a lot of things, plus a crowd who, as you have said, they, they, they are into everything that happens. They are so invested, you know, they, they have been taught by the wrestling companies in Japan that uh, kind of all these things are important and they react accordingly. And uh, it's just a great combination of stuff that yields some absolutely wonderful matches here. It does. I will say, uh, go out of your way to watch these matches. If any of that sounds appealing to you, watch these matches. Yes, absolutely. Um, on my Twitter, on the, the forums, you can uh, see the links for him. Huh, yes, definitely check it out. So, Whew. All right. That is uh, Wrestling Summit in Japan. That's um, that's something really special for sure. It is. I think next we have one more Saturday night's main event before SummerSlam. We do. We do. We'll be back in July 28th, very close to SummerSlam. For some reason, they will give away the main event of <laughs> Warrior versus Rude on that card. I do not understand why. Uh, we will see Demolition against the Rockers, and Crush will be there. So uh, before he is Kona or anything else, he will be mm. Demolition Crush. We will see uh, a new Intercontinental Champion, and I'm very excited about that. We will talk all about that when we get there. And we will see the debut of the Texas Tornado taking on uh, a guy that I'm excited to see again, our own Buddy Rose. So that's oh, my. pretty cool. Yeah, look at that, right? <laughs> that might be the match I'm most looking forward to. Uh, anything with Buddy Rose. Well, when you see what the Intercontinental title match is, you'll like that one better, I think. But I, I don't want to spoil it. We'll, we'll get there. Um, some bonus material as well is sure to come. And uh, it's just going to be a good conversation. So I, I'm really looking forward to that. Mystic, any idea if we're going to get drop that next week or if we have to push it off? Um, I think... Let's aim for next week. All right. We will aim tentatively for next week. Hopefully we can do it. If not, it will definitely come out soon. Uh, keep your eye out. We will definitely share all the information as we get it. Yeah, I, I will be, I will do some traveling. I will be heading back um, but early in the week. So um, I'm guessing more than likely the last uh, we'll be doing it this week. And then I don't know if you can find this or you know this. I'll look it up if I can't figure it out. But we're not getting Teddy. Teddy Biasi, I think, is not on SummerSlam, and Bossman is a referee. Yeah, that sounds right. I'm going to try hard to uh, see what there is in terms of bonus stuff for DiBiase and Bossman, because I would hate to miss that, and I know it's out there, unlike Dusty Bossman. Like, I've seen a DiBiase Bossman match that was wonderful, so I'm going to try to see where that falls. We definitely won't miss it. I promise you that. Okay. It just blows my mind, because I think... If I was watching in real time, like there's a lot of good SummerSlam matches, at least on paper, but I don't think anything would have been more exciting to me at that time than Bossman and DiBiase. Hey, guess what? The WWF is coming to your town. You can probably see it live. Right. That's what they yeah. want. They want you to buy that house show ticket. That's still their biggest moneymaker. So it's unfortunate for us uh, 31 years later, but uh, it is what it is. So we'll see what we can find. Probably right. uh, some MSG match got taped or something, so we'll do what we can. I'm very excited to see what happens with SummerSlam. This feels like partly because we're leaving behind maybe the tag match tradition, but this feels like a SummerSlam that wants to be big. I don't know how it will actually come across, but it feels like it's trying to be something in some ways. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever seen it in full, so it's going to be some uh, new material for me as well. So it'll be exciting. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, uh, for as much as we were kind of down on this Saturday Night's Main event, I think we have a lot of stuff to look forward to. So I have a question. I guess I have to say this because I don't think you would do it, and I don't blame you for it, but, okay. you know. Does that mean that everything that happens from Hogan getting taken out to, re- like, being gone to the campaign to bring him back all happens before SummerSlam? Pretty sure. It's a three-month period, you know, a three-month okay. gap here. A lot can happen in three months. So uh, we may have to put a little extra bonus footage on this yeah. next episode just to try to cover everything that's going to happen. Yeah, because I want to say, even if we everything that we watch with that sucks, I think we need to watch some of it because, <laughs> you know, we got to be able to talk. Because Tugboat was going to be the Sergeant Slaughter at WrestleMania 7, so we oh can't not, you know, watch some of that. Yeah, I don't know where that falls exactly, but uh, it's somewhere in here. That's going to be particularly ridiculous. Um, <laughs> ooh, yeah. No, all right. We'll 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 find something of it. Uh, holy crap. Um, I have Are you going to be here next week? I'm talking about Tugboat chased my next comment out of my mind, so now I don't know what to say. <laughs> uh, you're not going to no-show next week's episode, are you? I... But look at the stuff we've watched already. I would not leave just for tugboats. Um, I survived Vince Russo. I survived mm. the butcher. You know, I made it this far. I'm not tapping out just for freaking tugboat. So good thing. Right. <laughs> it blows my mind though that that, that was going to be WrestleMania Seven main event, and he was going to be like, uh, uh, yeah. Okay. It's very much like you can see that they're going back to the well because yeah. Hogan will befriend tugboat. He will say repeatedly that they are married for the 90s he will use that exact phrase he will poke his head through the curtain during (laughs) tugboat squash matches like a worried mother like to check on tugboat like it will be the most pathetic misunderstanding of what made those previous like partnership Mm -hmm. betrayals work It, it will just be a ridiculous farce compared to those moments but they you know they're trying it they're like hey People betraying Hogan did great business. We need better business, so we're going to try it again, and it will just not be at all what it needs to be. So so we will see that as it comes. Are we going to pretend like his name's not Tugboat? <laughs> like, what could a what, Tugboat what? really Did you want do? him to have a real name? Like, come on. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's fair. I just, you know, if Hulk Hogan can be that damaged by a Tugboat, like you said, and it, it makes sense. Like, I can see him like poking his head out of the curtain because that to me is what you do with a tugboat. You know, you worry about your tugboat, put it in the bathtub and can it see, is it a toy that can go in the water or not? You know, but it's, it's not a WrestleMania seven main event. I don't understand it. They're off the rails here. I don't know who is doing this stuff, but it's bad. You know, I don't even know who was warrior supposed to fight. Was he supposed to fight slaughter or like, uh, I don't know. Cause Slaughter wouldn't have been in that scenario because they replaced Tugboat when they slaughtered, Slaughter calls them because Vince and Slaughter had a falling out because Vince wanted Slaughter's money, I think, for G.I. Joe and didn't get it. Yeah. Uh, and then Slaughter calls. And once Slaughter calls, they know Tugboat's going nowhere. So they make that change. So I don't know if it was still going to be Savage and Warrior all, you know, all along or, if they didn't, or what they had for Warrior. But Yeah, that Slaughter story is crazy. That's like 84, I think. And Slaughter is like... The next thing to Hulk Hogan, you know, he's right up there with him in yeah. popularity. But Vince, yes. you know, he wants the money enough that he'll he'll kick Slaughter out the door before he makes money without cutting Vince in. So that's, that's crazy stuff. Yeah, like 
I guess you can't be Vince McMahon, but you know, you're gonna make more money to slaughter by not doing that. But I don't know if it's, it's setting a precedent that he just can't have everybody else doing it. Because like Jesse's gonna be kind of the same thing. It doesn't matter who you are. Once you go that route, you're gone. Yeah, no, he'll throw King Kong Bundy right down the toilet for pretty yeah. much the same thing, and who knows how many others. So, oh boy, it, very. That's yeah, so a 2020 conversation is still going on. <laughs> 2021, my friend. Yeah, 20. Yeah. Oh my god. Ooh, my. Oh boy. Okay. All right, I think that does it, right? I think that does it. It's been a very up and down episode, or more actually down and then very, very up. So I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you want to shout us out, I am on Twitter. I'm at SpectralGent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Join the conversation as well on LOPforums.com. Uh, also, WrestlingHeadlines.com for a lot of uh, good written material that you can join in on. And last, definitely not least, all the great programs on LOP Radio. Hope you will check those out as well. We will be back hopefully next week with Saturday Night's Man Event and hopefully a whole bunch of bonus material. DiBiase, Bossman, Hogan, Earthquake, God knows what else. Um, it's going to be a lot of great stuff. So until then, thank you for listening. Mystic, take us home. Absolutely. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. That no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared